American. Fuck that shit. Pass through ribbon. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. We're not backed by Don. Call him president. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome once again to a special edition of the Directors Club podcast in which I invited two wonderful guests to talk about a substantial year in film. Recently, um, I've come to the conclusion that I want to make this a yearly tradition of going back to, well, for me, two different decades to see what holds up what I consider to be a favorite. Um, And just to tell stories, share memories about the pop, pop culture year that was. Um, recently award-winning journalist and friend Dan Solomon and I talked about the year 1996 in music since the 90s were pretty much when my taste in music developed. And now, for this episode, it's all about movies once again, since in the mid-80s I officially became a movie addict. And joining me, of course, are two excellent critics and friends. Please welcome once again the cool as a cucumber Colin Suter. Thank you. Hello. And the electrifying Eric Childress. I saw what you did. I see what you did there. C's and E's. I got it. Clever, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Right, right with A you. lot of alliteration from anxious anchors placed in powerful posts. <laughs> that's, that's next year, Colin. That's We're doing right. that. I know. We're I, doing know. That next I know. Year. I know. Good to have you on once again, fellas. We've got quite the discussion to get to here. Um, so for the 1985 episode, you know, the structure was it's going to be very similar for this, in which we kind of just start talking about the year in general, I suppose. And I think last time we all agreed to focus initially on Back to the Future because that was the obvious choice. For It's the only choice. Yeah, yeah. But for this year, it's interesting because I know for you, Eric, there's definitely a certain sequel that I know you're very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, it's a David Lynch movie. Yeah. That would be my number one. So we got a lot to get to here. Um, so, in general, what do you think of 1986? I got, well, I mean, I got, I got three that I'm very passionate about. But um, I, I, 1986 is just one of those times that is hard for me to separate myself as a film lover from whatever misery I was going through in middle school. <laughs> oh, um, boy. It's like, I think, seventh grade we're talking about. So, like, I'm in the thick of being in middle school, and it sucks. Um, but I was, it was also, I'm a little, you know, I'm a few years older than you guys. I mean, I, um, you know, my, I, I said this last time, in 1985, you know, that was kind of a time when my tastes started to shift a little bit and started to change. And I was starting more interested in sort of the, you know, the, the serious stuff, the art house right. stuff. Like the and, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, the yeah. After Hours and the Brazils and sure. all that stuff. And and so, like, 1986 is kind of where that also is still starting for me. Um, and so, like, I look back at 1986 and a lot of the movies that came out, and I was like, and I, and I just kind of look at them and go, I'm... Re- 
I went back and watched a lot of movies that I hadn't watched in a, probably since then <laughs> in a long time. I was like, wow, there's so little that holds up from this year. <laughs> it's like the it's like the epicenter of eighties ness in terms of like the bad montage sequences yeah. and the cheat and the bad synth rock and you know some, a lot of the attitudes and everything that just like kind of make me wince a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And that's not to say there aren't great movies in 1986. I think there are. And obviously we're going to be talking about a lot of them. And it's going to sound like we've got nothing to, great things to say about 1986. But there's also a lot of garbage. Just like in a year, I guess. But like, I, it's for me, Like, I think 1986 is sandwiched between two years that are way better. <laughs> um, You're probably right yeah. to, to, to some degree. I think, But I think it'll be fun to, it's, it'll be fun to talk about. So. Yeah, m- for me, when I think of 1986, too, is th- these are some of the earliest memories of pay-per-view trailers. Mm. Because, yeah. mm. I mean, I don't know if it was this year specifically. It was right around this time. It was. I don't know if it was in late 86, but right around 87, yeah. I remember, was the time when I would get up very early in the morning to, on that monthly, uh, whenever the, the new trailers would show up, mm-hmm. and they would run... Six trailers for the same movie back to back, and yep. you're like, "Oh, look what's coming on pay per view this month." Yeah, was it Viewer's Choice? Was that Viewer's what it was called? Choice. Yeah, yes. Because yeah. I just remember seeing clips for Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. Star Trek Four, Big Trouble in Little China, and just, I mean, just seeing specific scenes from the movie that made me want to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously that probably happened in '87, but the titles I brought up came out in '86. Yeah, um, and I think this was also the first experience. Of me, I think I was, well, I must, yeah, I was eight years old, of me hating a movie for the first time. And that was Howard the Duck. Mm. I walked out of that movie. At eight, you hated Howard the Duck? Yeah, Mm. I hated it. I thought it was awful. (laughs) Wow. I I mean, I think it was like when Jeffrey Jones's tongue goes into like a cigarette lighter in a truck. I have have a vivid memory of that happening, like his tongue starts extending out or something, or it Mm -hmm. might even be his finger, I can't remember, but I remember going, that is stupid. (laughs) I just remember having that reaction. You were very well ahead of the curve. Yeah. Then. Probably. But, you know, it's an interesting year because you have some indie, like, neo-noir with Blue Velvet and Mona Lisa and a lot of interesting films, but you do have those big blockbusters, like like I mentioned, Crocodile Dundee and Top Gun and Star Trek Four, but um, it is yeah, it is it's like the indie stuff is interesting in the mid eighties because there it was still it was kind of like studios like Island Pictures were oh, starting yeah. to mm-hmm. develop, so like guys like Spike Lee and Jim Jarmusch, you know, got, right. that's how they got their films distributed and mm-hmm. everything. That kind of you know, it was the era of DEG. Right, De Laurentiis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course. Yes. Speaking of Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. mm. Eric, how about you? What, is, what do you think of when you think of the year nineteen eighty six? When I think of nineteen eighty six, I think of a very personal year, and, and personal in that it was sort of the next involvement of my movie going obsession experience kind mm-hmm. of thing. In that, like, you had 1984, which the summer of 84 was where I started going to movies with friends and other parents, having, you know, like, take me to see this movie, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and then 85 was you know, a little bit more muted, but there was, you know, there was your Back to the Futures and the things. It was a little more picky, <laughs> you know, with you know, things going to the movies, um, particularly that summer. And then 86. A lot of my memories, and this sort of, I have a very specific, very geeky thing about the summer of 1986, and that 
uh, it was a time that I was going over to my grandmother's house quite a bit. It was hmm. a few, six months after my grandfather had passed away. Okay, five, six months. And so I was going over to her house a lot, and I would bring with me my trusty Apple IIc computer. Uh, and, uh, and what I would do is, because it was the first time that I started recognizing that certain movies would stay in theaters longer than other movies. Yeah. Uh, it was true. the first time I think I had become aware of a summer movie preview, I think, in maybe the Daily Herald or something like that, because mm-hmm. I, I tended to know all of these movies that were coming out that summer. Yeah. And I did this really stupid, geeky thing, trying to figure out, like, well, what movies are the most popular? Well, they didn't really publish box office as regularly as they did at that time. So what I would do with my computer is is I would keep track in the paper and I would see which movies are still out in theaters. And I would keep oh, wow. track day by day what movies are still out. And that's how I go, like, well, these are clearly the most popular movies because they're just staying out hmm. that long. Because I remember you know, a movie like E.T. or Return of the Jedi would be out the entire year. And then there's all these movies that are gone after a few months and whatnot. So like, sounds like the genesis of your of your love of it, stats. It's very well. That was, I mean, I was doing baseball statistics and stuff around that time too. So yeah. now I was just sort of formulating it with with this, and so that was sort of my version of box office in 1986. And I just I remember very specifically which film played the longest throughout that summer. I have that burn in my brain. Was it Top Gun? It was not, well, it was not Top Gun. Uh, It was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nine times. Nine times. Yeah, I just, I mean, I have vivid memories of, you know, going to the movies with both of my parents um, separately on some occasions. My mom knew because I loved Sylvester Stallone that we were going to go see Cobra on opening night. And she was mortified um, <laughs> because it was so ridiculously over the top violent. Um, but at the, yeah, at the same time, I remember my dad and I had this weird bond over Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars, which is not a very good movie. Oh, oh. The opening with. I think it's Hunter Carson and Timothy Bottoms where they're looking up at the sky. It's like, you know, father-son kind of a thing yeah. that I think that automatically it, like, primed our brains to be okay with the flaws of this movie because, like, there's a central relationship formed there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he loves Saturday Night Live, so Lorraine Newman was in it. I don't know. Just, like, weird little memories of watching that movie in a the theater. It was a packed house for opening night, but it bombed. Oh yeah, <laughs> it really bombed. After, yeah. like I think word of mouth just got out for that one. But we're gonna get to all that very soon. Like we're gonna go pretty much chronologically month by month through specific titles and our memories of them and whether or not we think they they hold up today. Yeah, and then once we get to Jake Speed, we're just gonna stop there because <laughs> we can't go any further. It's, that's it <laughs> for all you Karen Copens fans out there. <laughs> I don't remember Jake Speed very much. Neither do I. Actually. Really? So you're you're kind of on your own okay. with this one. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I remember it being out, but I just remember. I, yeah. I, All I remember it's just I remember the poster. Yeah. I remember like like oh clearly they're doing for like going for some Indiana Jones kind of thing here, right. and that girl from that that's very cute is in the movie. Yeah. Mm. So you know we had the teen pop fluff with you know it's almost like a seasonal one two punch with Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller like you mentioned. However, for me, and it should come as no surprise that the film 1986 for me remains to this day Blue Velvet. 
I kind of want to go around the room and talk about your first experience seeing Blue Velvet. We don't have to go on a half hour long discussion like we did with Back to the Future, of course, because we're going to you know just go through the year proper. But I'm just curious to what were the first experiences and circumstances for your viewing of Blue Velvet. Eric, let's start with you, because I don't know what your take is on Blue Velvet, because maybe you don't like it. Uh, no, I do like it. Okay, good. Yeah, very much. It's <laughs> one of the one of the few. Well, the, the the early David Lynch stuff I'm mostly on board with. It's good. the later stuff that I'm I'm not uh, I, I don't do not subscribe to. But I don't have any specific memory of the first time I watched Blue Velvet. It just it was not a movie at that time that all all I knew about it is that it was very divisive. All I knew about it is that Roger yep. Ebert hated it, and uh, everyone else seemed to really love it, including Dan Geyer, who I think called it his second favorite film of the eighties. Oh, eventually, wow. after or, either that or the right stuff, one of the, those were one too. Um, so yeah, and and I, I, I so I, I can I can't really tell you what, what my first experience watching that movie was. I remember it may not have been I remember, that year. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I only remember. You know, it was almost like like a vignette in my head. It's like I remember scenes, I remember moments, I remember. Yeah. You know, I you know I think it wasn't until like years later that I even remembered how the movie even ended, kind of <laughs> stuff. Like I remembered st- all the, the 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 mystery stuff in the first half, and then just a little Dennis Hopper, and then that's all I really remember about that movie. So I, I really, as a nostalgia <laughs> trip, I really cannot give you sort of a very specific reference to. Yeah, it's watching it's, that movie. It's a very different choice. To go with Blue Velvet over something like Back to the Future for last well, episode, clearly. <laughs> but yeah. it's just when I think remember. Of the I mean, year. we were young at the time too. I mean, that's not a movie any of us should have been watching at that well, time. I shouldn't have been watching Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but three years later, right? Well, <laughs> there. I don't know. It's one of those things where, um, again, I saw a trailer on pay per view at some point, and it might have been a year afterwards. And I'm thinking of this where. Again, I just remembered it in fragments, and I go, "What is this movie? It's like it's it's certainly not bouncy and lively like all these other trailers I'm seeing for mm-hmm. you know popcorn films." But it really intrigued me, and I really, um, I think it was seeing also Dean Stockwell very briefly in this trailer, looking very different than I know Dean Stockwell. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a, it's a movie that I think sort of summarizes beautifully what David Lynch's strengths are in terms of being a visual storyteller and yet um, incorporating genre elements and noir and all these things and and doing it with you know the David Lynch weirdness that would go on to define Twin Peaks but he didn't go up he didn't get high on his own supply at that point which is what I really appreciate that it, it's a straightforward narrative which is something he kind of stopped doing you can actually, if you you get like when you watch Twin Peaks for me, anyway, you can sort of his entire career to me is summarized in watching Twin Peaks. Like yeah, the I can, first, yeah, like too. the first season is kind of genius, it's you know, perfect. right? And then you get to when Joan Chen's trapped in the doorknob, and you just go, "What the fuck are you doing?" David? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what do you remember, Colin? Uh, I remember very specifically when I saw Blue Velvet for the first time. Um, it, I was I rented it with the week it came out on video, and it was a hmm. uh, spring break of 1987 because this came, you know, Blue uh, came out in the fall of '86. Um, and I remember I went to Quick Flicks Video, which was a video store in Arlington Heights, and I was 
one of their regulars, um, and my parents set up the account so I could check out R-rated movies. And <laughs> always got to check that box. Yeah, yeah, got to check that box. Parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, by that time, I'd already seen. You know, they took me to see Stripes. You know, in the theater when I was <laughs> you know, nice. eight years old. Mm-hmm. So by yeah. that time, I'd seen everything. Um, we had cool parents. Yeah, and uh, so I was like, I guess what I would have been uh, fourteen, thirteen, or fourteen. Um, and I remember bringing the box up to the counter, and the woman behind the counter, who knew me, you know, she's like, Look, I know you can rent R-rated movies, but I, I just don't think you should rent this. <laughs> like, but I want to see it. I, you know, like you, like you were saying, Eric, I knew. Like, I was like, I gotta see like what this thing yeah, is. What it's yeah, what like. it's getting four stars from everybody except mm. this Ebert right. guy who gave it one star, <laughs> and I'm really curious. Yeah. And uh, I think it was also nominated for nominated for director and maybe screenplay. Um, so I just I just really wanted to see it, and I remember bringing it home and, and watching it, you know, and that afternoon, you know, my parents are at work. Everybody, I got the whole house to myself watching Blue Velvet, and I was mesmerized through the whole thing. I mean, I got sucked right into the story yeah. right away. It's easy um, to do that. In you know, like when the Dean Stockwell stuff was happening, I was like really like. Man, I've never seen anything like this. I, 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 I'm, and I realize like I have a very strange wheelhouse that you know. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, uh, this this is really doing it for me now, and I, I, I've definitely crossed a line with what I've <laughs> with the kind of movies I'm really into versus the kind of movies I used to be into, and um, and I've been a huge fan of it. I mean, I you know go back and watch it every couple of years ever since, and you just pick up and notice things in it at, with every viewing. Right. And I think the last time I watched it was I projected it. I, I have the Blu-ray, and I hooked up the Blu-ray to my projector. Um, it's an HD projector, and I you know blew it up on my wall, and you know it's you know you guys have seen it. It's a big wall, um, and it looks gorgeous. And I realized like this is a movie that you really have to see on a big screen in a dark room, like the way it's lit. Uh, the way it's shot, you know, the corners are darkened so that the world, its world bleeds into our world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I just realized, like, man, to watch this thing in pan and scan on VHS mm-hmm. was like, ugh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the first way I saw it. But I didn't know any better at the time, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know, but that's really the way you should you can you you have to watch it. It already had its thirty uh, year anniversary. You know, it was round like a new the print, theaters, the music box. Yeah. yeah, the music box played. I'm sure it was everywhere else. It's been it's made it rounds around the country. But uh, anytime you get a chance to see it on the big screen, you should. Absolutely, it's weird that you know, the year before, maybe I talked about this last time, but After Hours was one of those movies. I think my parents had rented. And I kept going down. I almost feel like Kyle MacLachlan in Blue Velvet kept going down to peak mm-hmm. at what my parents were watching and only getting like certain glimpses of it. And I think that was the case for my first, even if it wasn't a full viewing of Blue Velvet. That's what mm-hmm. I remember, like sort of sneaking in and going, "What is that? What's going on here?" <laughs> well, and also, I mean, and like After Hours and another movie we'll talk about later. Um, it's it's the theme that I apparently I was very into at the time, which is like the straight laced normal guy gets caught up in this yeah. crazy nightmare 
weirdness that he can't escape from. Yeah. Um, apparently, that was a that was a big thing in the eighties. It was like mm-hmm. take yeah. a yuppie or somebody like that and just put him through hell or put him through some situation where they have to you know question who they are, or, you know, figure out what 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 you know what have they done to deserve this or whatever. And um, and I just remember responding to that yeah. aspect of it. I think I think it, it plays. It I think at the time it for me. Uh, it played to this uh, feeling I had of living in the suburbs and nothing interesting ever happens, mm-hmm. and that's and like, wouldn't it be cool to uncover a mystery and and and, yeah. and to figure out like what's going on in that house over there? It looks normal, but it's really not. And like, I read I, think, the, I read the Hardy Boys too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but I think like I think Blue Velvet like really that, that's another reason why I think I really responded so strongly to Blue Velvet at the time was because it had that sense of adventure in a place where you're not supposed to have adventures. Yeah, um, very different from the Goonies when when you come yeah. to adventure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think you should just write a book on that theme between After Hours and Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's an and interesting an- and point. And another movie we'll be talking about. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very much so. We can yeah. we can transition along now if you're ready to get into the year. Transition. Itself. Let's start with January '86. Yeah. Okay. See what titles stand out. Um, I mean, obviously, Eric, you can start, but you know, if you see one column that stands out for you, mm-hmm. uh, shout it out. Just stand out in any capacity, really, or just yeah. Um, I mean, if, if oh, it'll be interesting to bring up. Well, I'm, I mean, January, it's going to make good radio. January <laughs> is o- January is often you know the dumping ground for Hollywood to you know they re- put out their you know movies that have been sitting on the shelf for a while and that have no real hope of gaining you know mm-hmm. a huge audience because they didn't turn out very good or and I you know. Movies that you know on this list that I remember seeing, you know, uh, you know, remember Clan of the Cave Bear was a huge story at the time. <laughs> yeah, it, was it was. Like, it was a big story. It was. Yeah. A, it was based on a huge bestseller. Um, it was about you know, well, yeah, it's Daryl Hannah. Yes. It was, it was, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was a feminist parable mm-hmm. of some kind, right? Um, and it was a huge bomb. I mean, it was it was one of the movies that was most most ridiculed of that year it was it became kind of a punchline um it wasn't screened for critics and uh hmm. and it was just one of these sort of oh my god they're making a movie about it they're making it they're doing it they're you know and then it comes out and it was like oh my god it was awful and i remember cisco and ebert reviewing it on their show and the, and and they didn't show a clip from the movie they showed like the trailer and they came back and they're like Stu- this is what the studio sent us. They didn't send us any scenes from the movie, so this is what we got, hmm. and it's a piece of crap. January, it's, I mean, you look at these movies now, and yeah, at the time it looks like a dumping ground, but some of these movies have gone on, for better or worse, you know, fame, you know, inf- infamy probably more than anything else. But I'm looking on like on January 17th. You could have chose between Iron Eagle, Iron Eagle, or Troll. Yeah, that day, <laughs> yeah. and and of course, no one probably thought anything of the time, and probably, right. most people probably still don't think much of Iron Eagle. But you know, this is the year, the year of Top Gun, mm-hmm. and that's like the precursor, to right? Exactly, yeah. it was the precursor to Top Gun. And if I'm going to choose between the two, which one I would rather watch? If, if you had to put a you know put the gun to my head, I'm going to watch Iron Eagle for all its <laughs> cheesy glory. Uh, everyone gave you know Top Gun's got the soundtrack, but they don't have one vision. Yeah, they don't have that Queen song is better than anything on the Top Gun soundtrack, as far as I'm concerned. So it wins the soundtrack war just from that one song. Uh, I have a soft spot for "Take My Breath Away." I don't know. Well, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> that, then that's number two. Okay. Um, but 
Uh, yeah, and and you know, talk about movies about fathers and son. This is a movie about a son rescuing his dad. Sure. So yeah. it's just that that's sort of an appealing. I mean, any any of movies where the kids of any age got to rescue the adult appealed mm-hmm. to me at right. the time. Goonies is yeah. you know you mentioned Goonies. You know, a movie like Iron Eagle. Uh, Oh, I'd watch any any movie that was like that, yeah. where the where the kids get a chance to be play the role of the adult mm-hmm. in a way. Right. That's also why I sent you that trailer. Blue for Velvet. I mean, has the oh, bit yeah. of that oh, yeah, obviously yeah. to it. And I sent you guys the trailer for a movie I'd never even seen. But once Colin brought up the U.S. title, The Quest, I was like, Oh yeah, I used to see that video box all the time. I just yeah. never rented it for some reason. I never and I never saw it. I always wanted to because. Henry Thomas like yeah. is in it, and it looked like that kind of. Mo- it looked like a Goonies kind of a yes. movie. Yes, so. yes. I don't know. I don't know if it's any good. I'd be curious to watch it. Now. I remember thinking it was okay. I thought it was strange. I mean, I haven't seen it since. Right. Um, I watched it out of curiosity and thought mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it might be one that. of those mm-hmm. out of print titles. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So was the biggest movie of this month Down and Out in Beverly Hills in terms I, uh, of. Uh, Box office and critical claim probably too. Oh, it was a yeah. huge critical hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, Siskel and Ebert were crazy about this movie, um, and, Which, that, and I think they were probably the biggest champions of it. The, well, Ebert um, certainly was. He got yeah. four stars. I, 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 I've been a long time since I've watched it. I never got it. I, I always thought it was just okay. Yeah, I never got the extreme praise mm-hmm. for the for the movie. I think at the time it was just. There were these. It was a movie made up of a collection of just odd characters because there's yeah, but nobody mm-hmm. in this movie is really normal, and I think that's that was what part of what the response to it was. Like we haven't, we don't. These aren't the kind of characters we normally see in a film. Um, they're a little quirky. They're a little out there. They're you know, then they're kind of being satirized a bit by Paul Mazursky, mm-hmm. and um, and of course you got the dog. The dog was like the big that was, star. That was that was true. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that dog went on to be in a lot of movies after that, um, and that was basically like what everybody clung to when they praised the movie. Oh, I love the dog. The dog's hilarious. Um, but it was like it was kind of this uh, kind of out of nowhere hit movie and it was also the first uh, R-rated movie to come out of Disney oh wow that's yeah. true that's, that's touchdown. interesting that's touchdown yeah. release right? yeah. oh wow yeah so it has that kind of notoriety as well um, I yeah I, I in my mind I sort of get like that in terms of tone I get that movie and Ruthless People mixed up and it's probably because of over the top Bette Midler was also another R-rated touchdown film right, right as well yeah, Disney yeah. release uh, but I'm looking at, I'm looking at January 31st when Down and Out Beverly Hills open uh, which seems like a weird date to open a film like that but yeah, that, that movie that, that date also has what could be the worst movie of 1986 in my opinion uh, and that's a movie called Youngblood Blood, yeah okay. <laughs> okay okay the Rob Lowe hockey movie that is not about <laughs> hockey it's about fighting yep you know and uh, but yet it also has a movie that I think is a very underrated film on that date, and that's the best of times. You know, I haven't seen that in a very long time. I'd like to rewatch that. Uh, pre, I love Kurt Russell. A pre Bull Durham, Ron Shelton wrote that movie. That's right. Oh, yeah. okay. And if you, you go back and look look at that movie, it's actually there's there's a real sort of sense of melancholy and nostalgia about it. It seems like it's a looks like it's going to be this goofy Robin Williams movie about a guy who never caught a football. <laughs> okay, but there's actually there, there's actually some real. 
in, interesting pathos. subtext, pathos and stuff in the movie. And yes, Russell's very good. Williams is very good. It does have some little some slapsticky stuff in there, uh, and you know, happy ending and all that kind of stuff. But it, it I, I've always enjoyed that movie. My favorite movie from this month is I can't believe this got released on January first, and it must have been just like kind of what we would consider to be an indie film at the time, and that's Night Mother, which was based on mm. a play with Sissy Spacek and Anne Bancroft, maybe? Yeah, yeah. If I was, that an eight, mm-hmm. was that a, released on the first? Just, because uh, the list I'm looking at, it says it is. Could yeah. that be an 85 film that was, like, maybe released? Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe uh, that's what Oscar it was. consideration kind of thing? Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's borderline 85 like yeah. maybe it was released in New York and LA in December or something but maybe it opened wide I don't know well, but it, that's that's a movie that because I saw it again at a young age with my mom um, mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's so so freaking depressing but I just I think that was my first experience seeing a movie where it's so dialogue driven and it's mm-hmm. you know based on a play so it's really just one um, setting one environment in the house with them talking back and forth and I was just I remember really responding to to it emotionally, and I thought the performances were great. And I think this is a really special movie, but I don't know if it's out on official release anymore. It might be one of those out-of-print titles. Mm. Everything I do winds up like this. I can only with myself after this, Jesse. I should have just left you a note, yes! Don't leave me, Jesse. No! And I, I remember watching... Uh, and, we, and my parents made the mistake of getting... Not a mistake. It was great for me, but um, getting two cable boxes, one for upstairs, one for downstairs. Mm, so same they'd here. be watching stuff downstairs. I'd go upstairs and watch whatever R-rated thing was on the movie channel, same and I watched here. I watched My Chauffeur, and that was the first, oh, I think that was yeah. the first, or one of the first, or like, when I watched it, I was like, I remember logging it and giving it a half star. Like, <laughs> now I'm a real film critic because I'm giving a movie a half star. This piece of garbage. Yeah, um, that's how was, I felt about Howard the Duck. <laughs> right, and I'm pretty sure I hated that too. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I know I did, but like, I just remember that movie. Like, it was like some stupid comedy with Howard Hessman and who else? What was it? Was it Deborah Foreman? Isn't it Deborah Foreman? Maybe. From Valley Girl and yeah, Real Genius, yeah, possibly, yeah. yeah. There were so many movies was, that were like e. that. E. Marshall was in it. Too. Was he really? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you, you say Mar- my show for this, and like the same group as my tutor, right. private Meyer. lessons. Well, Those were Secret Admirer. I have a soft spot for that movie. <laughs> okay. There's some funny stuff in that movie. Kelly Preston, Fred Ward, and yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Those were earlier in the in the decade, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's in that same vein of just like it's some stupid TNA <laughs> comedy that's kind of supposed to be about female empowerment, but definitely isn't. Um, <laughs> right. As, you know, just thinking about it right now, and um, yeah, and then you got the first troll movie, which of course spawned Troll Two, an in name only. Troll Two, yes. Uh, that you know, and of course, remember the. Do you know the name of the the boy in the first Troll movie? His character's name, Harry Potter. That's right. Yes, Noah Hathaway from the Never mm-hmm. Ending Story. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was kind of a he's a wizard in training, sort of. Yes, he is. Movie. That's so, very which true. Is very. That's a very either a great co- weird coincidence or. Maybe a little bit of and plagiarism. Yet, and, Troll, oh, and Troll 2, yeah. the, the, the in Best Worst Movie, actually, it's the, the director that's actually refers to Troll 2 as being in the Harry Potter 
right. vein. Does he say that? I don't I'm know. pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure he he envisioned it well, because he was. No, wait a minute. It couldn't be because Troll Two came. Troll Two was made before Harry Potter. No, it was. Out. Yeah, I'm talking about best worst movie. He like sort of retroactively is basically saying oh, that I Troll Two right. was like like he was basically like laying the groundwork for Harry Potter in a gotcha. way that like oh, he was okay, making okay. a he was making a fantasy film, a family film about you know, trolls and wizards and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a f- really stupid numbery fact about my chauffeur uh just looking at the box office for it it opened oh, it yeah. opened to 3.6 million on its opening weekend hmm. which is uh, granted is already more than clan of the cave bear made um and then in the second weekend and i'll i mean i'm looking at box office mojo right now it was pulled 953 theaters pulled in its second weekend and it dropped 92.5 percent <laughs> In its second wow. weekend. Now, granted, its distributor is something called Crown. If you look at the Crown released six pictures in the theaters. Okay, ready for this list? Um, not only my chauffeur, but my tutor. Um, weekend Pass. Oh, God. Uh, Tomboy. Betsy Russell. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Uh, Hunk. Everyone remember yes, Hunk? I do remember 1987. Yeah. And uh, Jocks. Oh, I yeah. remember Jocks. It well, also released in 86. Well, they definitely had a brand. Yes, they did. Yes. If I could build a time machine, I would take my dad to go see Terror Vision in the theater. Because he, he hated horror movies, but he loved horror comedies so much. You know, it's like case in point. First Evil Dead, despised it. Army of Darkness, one of his favorite movies. <laughs> so, Terror Vision was one of those films that the video store recommended to me. For some reason, they you know they did it for did it with love me. Love the video box for that. I just, yes, like, I love the cover. Yes, box, so. and I didn't know what it was when I, I put it in, and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Also on Blu-ray right now. Garrett um, Graham from Used Cars, right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Diane Franklin from Last American Virgin and oh, Better yes. Off Dead, no, of course, and Amityville too. <laughs> so we're in February now. We're moved to, yeah, we're in February, that's a radical shift here. Indeed. Uh, Look at television open on Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Along with Delta Force, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and Wildcats, filmed, uh, filmed in, in Chicago, yes, yeah, in Evanston, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah, Quick. you can see Nick Giulio's feet or something. Quicksilver, Quicksilver, same day. Okay, mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. bike movie. All all movies uh, made more than Clown of the Cape Bear. Right. <laughs> We're just going to use that as our mm-hmm. as our barometer yeah. right now. Um, but <laughs> uh, so February seventh, I think. As you know, you got FX, which is. I need uh, to see that again. I haven't seen that yeah, since I, that we watched it. That was one of those it. I was going to try to catch up with. Yeah, me too. I should. It. Holds up. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's still really fun. It is. And uh, one of my favorite films of the year, another like sort of early like movie movie that came out early in the year that got a lot of praise and really kind of lasted for the rest of the year was uh, Woody Allen's Hannah and Her Sisters, which is. Uh, my second favorite Woody Allen movie. I yes, think. Or my his, third one favorite. of his best. Third. Mm. Um, I, I think this is Woody Allen, like, really sort of figuring out how to make a drama without being heavy handed and realizing we got to have some laughs in here. Because, like, you watch Interiors and uh, you, you, just <laughs> know, you, know, you know he doesn't have a grip on how to do a real drama yet because right. everybody's talking about themselves. And talking about their personalities, but they're not really showing us anything. Like we're not, you know, 
they, they talk about attractions that they have to other people, but you don't see why. There's no mm-hmm. chemistry. But in this movie, like he's got the perfect cast, and he's got an amazing script. Um, Michael Caine. Michael Caine won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and Diane Weist won Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she this did. Year. Oh yeah, wow! She did. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I thought she first won of two bullets over Broadway. Both yeah. she won that too. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's it's a phenomenal ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, you know, with just. You know, a perfect ending. Um, really, just I, I've got nothing but great things to say about this film. Um, and it wasn't a movie that I, and I think it took forever for it to come out on video because they, they held, they held its release on video until the end of the, you know, because they were like, wait, we should hang on to this. Orion Picture said we should hang on to this because it's getting praise from every critic in the world, and we might be able to, you know, use that in. November during award season, and I'm pretty sure they re-released it in theaters later in the year uh, for award season, and then it finally came out on video in like 1987, like spring of 1987, and that's when I first saw it. But um, sounds about right. Yeah, I think it was one of those that I might have gotten to see with my parents mm. because they they didn't find anything objectionable really right. about it other than the language and stuff. But yeah, no, I. <laughs> I mean, I think I was kind of bored by it as a kid, but right. I've grown to appreciate it more and more with rewatches. Yeah, if that weekend isn't sort of the template for like why Orion went bankrupt, it's just I mean they released the the, the, the two biggest movies to open that weekend were re- released by Orion, and uh, they didn't release Orion. anything for a while. I don't think. But but to go back to FX, I mean that was a he- one of those movies that really found its voice on its life on cable. It actually it did pretty, yeah. it did pretty decently in theaters for for that time but uh that was one of those movies that really became a cult hit on cable whatever happened to brian brown (laughs) um really quickly here because i I got uh, i'm not going to read the whole thing but of course i'm very appreciative of bill ackerman and all his hard work and research and he's as big of a movie nerd as we are um and he sent me like a very long email but i want to bring up a couple of highlights um, as, as certain titles pop up because I have not seen one he brings up and he says in terms of queer cinema caught in the middle of the Reagan era Bill Sherwood's parting glances has mostly been forgotten beyond its importance in establishing actor Steve Buscemi so apparently uh, in February uh, an indie drama with Steve Buscemi was released Yeah, and I didn't know he was working that early but yeah um, that's something I should check out I'd be it was very one curious. of those movies I remember seeing just the ads for it in the paper like there was the you know there was the music box and there was the fine arts theater and there was the biograph the biograph at the time was an art house theater and i remember seeing the ads for movies like parting glances and um you know like i'm looking at the list here lady jane and you know stuff like that coming out every week and like i'm never going to be able to see that because it's only playing in chicago but i'm glad it's getting good i didn't even know who steve buscemi was until tales from the dark side the movie that's probably my first exposure to Mm -hmm. him Yeah, and Julianne Moore and Julianne Moore as his sister. Wow. Um, So I, I have grown to adore the Hitcher. I don't know if I'm on the same level as Nick is with it, but I mean, despite the casting of Soul Man, I uh, I I just think Rucker Hauer owns that movie. Oh, definitely. There's this creepy seduction going on throughout all of it. Um, It's just it's an implausible chase picture, but I just find it really effective. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it is uh it, it was a movie that I watched quite a bit. Um and yeah, for Rutger Hauer. And I'm about to take a long road trip and yeah, that scares me <laughs> to think about. Just don't pick um, anybody up. Just don't pick anybody up. <laughs> yeah. Just don't do it. Before. 
My mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey let the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. What do you want? I remember this movie. The reaction to it was all just as almost as polarizing as, as Blue zero Velvet. stars again. From zero Ebert. stars from Siskel and Ebert. They yeah, both like had this absolute it. hatred for it. And then this was also a time when we had three movie review shows on at the same time. We had Siskel and Ebert. We had Rex Reed and Bill Harris and oh, their show, which is yeah. like the, at the movies or something. And then yeah. the the incarnation of sneak previews at this time was. Uh, Michael Medved and Jeffrey Lyons. Yep. Oh my God. They had all three of those going on at the same time. And I remember, yeah, Siskel Niebert put The Hitcher on their worst list, probably near the top. And of all people, Rex Reed and Bill Harris had The Hitcher in their top 10. Did they really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I remember that. And I just, I, you know, it was one of those movies that just outraged people or dazzled them, you know. And, I uh, think a lot of people just have a visceral reaction to Jennifer Jason Lee getting pulled yeah, apart well, by truck. Which you don't I, I, see. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't see, see it. Right. Right. Yeah. But th- that movie is just incredibly unsettling. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the it, it's, yeah. so it's a very, it's a hard movie for me to watch, actually, because it's sort of the, 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 the literal embodiment of all of my nightmares. Yeah. Oh, pretty God. much. I mean, just the, you know, being, being chased. Constantly chased in your in your nightmares, you know, just a bad guy, whatever. Whether it's a Terminator or Rucker Howard, whatever it is, it just. I mean, it's. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we can lighten it up. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's let's do that. So I can watch, go to your fridge and get some food for nine and a half weeks. <laughs> I just here's the thing. Uh, I just watched that movie all the way through. Did for you the really? First time this week. What? Did you really? Yes. Because uh, I never, oh I never seen it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I watched it last week. It was in my. I put a bunch of 1986 movies in my Netflix queue. I was like, I've never seen that all the way through. I'm going to put it in the queue. And wow, is it rancid? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is. It try. It wants to be Last Tango in Paris, but it's closer to Fifty Shades of Grey. Good call. Good call. Uh, yeah. Is really more of what's going on with this film. Adrian Lyne is such a brilliant, like craftsman. Jacob's like, Ladder. No, I mean, like his cinematography is always <laughs> yeah, just no, so true. distinctly mm-hmm. that's very his. True. I mean, that's very is, true. He, he definitely had his own look for all of his movies. That was. Yeah, you knew you were watching an Adrian Lyne film when you just looked at certain shots. And I think Nine and a Half Weeks is definitely that movie, one of those movies. Um, I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, uh, but I will say this for it. It does stick to its guns with its unhappy ending, you know. It doesn't, I mean, they, you know, they break up and they stay broken up. Or they, or yeah. they, they part their ways, and, and, and well, no one wants to see those two together. Well, no, but I mean, but I mean, like, <laughs> it's not really. It's happy. That is the happy ending that they break up. I guess, but like in 1986, you didn't see that kind of an ending that often. I mean, it was that you know, it was kind of was a little dark. Yeah, this time, uh, you know, in 1986, you had to be upbeat and you know, commercially popular. Um, 
But you know, I mean, it boasts one of the you know just worst soundtracks ever. Uh, the most laughable sex scenes you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you other said, than with, body of evidence with with the food. You know, like <laughs> like you were saying with the food and the you know when she's when he's feeding her, she's got her blindfold on and he's feeding her. I don't like stuff. food and sex. I yeah, don't either. Just, I don't get it. I don't. Yeah. No. And, don't mix the two. If Last Tango in Paris is like a Henry Miller novel, then Nine and a Half Weeks is just a trashy romance novel. Really. Well, I think it's. I think it's also important to remember because I don't think of Nine and a Half Weeks as an Adrian Lyne film. I think of it as a Zalman King film. Uh, yeah. That, you know. That yeah. And when you yeah. think of it as a Zalman King film, it makes absolute sense. Right. I mean, Adrian Wild Orchid and Wild Orchid, Retro Diaries. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. You know, he was the Joe Esther House before (laughs) Joe Esther House became that, you know. Right. right. You know. and, I mean, the title alone sort of kills the suspense of it. Well, you get these two people together in a movie called Nine and a Half Weeks. Like, well, I guess they're going to be together for nine and a half weeks. I yeah. Guess, uh, I guess this isn't going anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then the 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 month rounds off with two. You know, one movie that I really like, and then one that I don't think held up for me as well when I saw it recently: uh, House and Pretty in Pink. And I, we have to guess oh which one goodness. is which. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to guess House didn't hold up for the you. House does not hold up. No, for me that's as that's well. too bad. I, I I agree. I rewatched that too, yeah. and I feel yeah. the same way. Doesn't it's, the the, the, does like the comedy stuff doesn't just, hold up or it falls kind of flat. Yeah, me. once um, the z- the sort of zombie trooper sort of comes back. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like it's trying to be a parable about PTSD to some degree yeah. and how he, you know, processes it and everything. But like George Wendt is kind of like shoehorned in there to be comic relief at times. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't know. I just like there's certain images from that, and even just like the hand. I think of you know Evil Dead late, yeah. years later. But mm. and I've always been confused by the House Three thing. Like you know, it goes House One, House Two, the second story. Yeah. House Three became. The horror show for some reason. That's correct. Even though it has no association with the actual house. Right. And then House Four. So. Right. It's just a weird mm-hmm. series of films. You're right. Yeah. But Pretty in Pink holds up for Pretty you. Pretty in Pink, I still like, even though the ending, you know, kind of. I, I, the I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm ending. more of a some kind of wonderful guy. Oh yeah, me yeah. No, too. Some kind of wonderful, yeah. better. much better film. Yeah, agreed. But I, but I remember thinking, I remember seeing Pretty in Pink and like realizing, okay, there's people in high school who are going to be a little weirder than me. Well, I was thinking of the Ducky character. And I was like, okay, good. I don't feel quite so bad. Or I don't feel quite so unsure or awkward of myself. Um, not that like, oh, good, there's Ducky. Now I have confidence. I didn't mean it. I don't mean it like that. I don't know if I'm articulating this well enough. But I was like, okay, like there are geeks out there who you know, have the same kind of problems that I do. I responded to that. Yeah, I just I, um, I wish that when record stores were open oh, and accessible, yeah. I wish that, I wish there were uh, employees that looked like Molly Ringwald and Annie Potts there because most of the guys I knew that ran record stores were just these big bearded dudes. But I I don't know. I found rewatching it recently, I was like, it's fine. I I, I don't. I don't really hate it. I don't really love it. It's just square in the middle for me. I've always found it fine. Yeah. And one of my problems with it, and this goes back to even when I was 11, is I never really got the Molly Ringwald thing. Like, I know there are people that think she, like she was, you know, I mean, like, Sixteen Candles, fine, Breakfast Club, fine, and whatnot. But, like, that, like all, everyone would just be in love with her, the character, the woman, you know, all that kind of stuff. I never, like, really, guys? 
I think it has a lot to do with that. I mean, at the time, like the uh, the ideal woman was, you know, your Christy Brinkley's, your Cheryl yeah, Teams, that yeah. sort of thing. And Molly Ringwald just had the girl this next kind door. of girl next door accessibility to right. it that was very appealing. I I, I mm. found John I Hughes worshipped the ground she walked on. Yeah, she was mm. his she was his muse for quite a while there. And yeah. I yeah. think I think a lot of it has to do with that sort of she had this kind of unconventional beauty that wasn't you know didn't fit into the norm for that era yeah. and you know I, I think that i think that goes a long way towards her popularity i was more of an ally sheedy guy oh, so, I, I wouldn't yeah. argue that yeah. yeah you've seen high art right of course okay just making sure <laughs> please just making sure come on let's move on Wow, it's Here. weird that I, I I brought this movie up um, during the um, music video bonus episode I did where we talked about our favorite music video. And here it is, Highlander. <laughs> it's just stalking me now. I, well, can't get, I can't get away from it. Well, there, there's one very specific reason why I really wanted to see Highlander when it came out. Does anyone guess what that reason was? Hmm. No, it's not a fascination with Roxanne Hart. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, there's one very specific reason why the commercials of Highlander appealed to me. Queen did the soundtrack. Oh, oh right, right, okay. okay. And you went and you saw it. I'm like, oh, Queen does that's Queen. I'm the they did Flash Gordon. You know, <laughs> right, my favorite okay. band right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see that and I want to see Highlander. And I hear like, oh, it's about guys with swords who want to cut each other. Oh, come on, yeah. got to see that. And then you see it and just like, well, that could have been better, right? <laughs> you know, like, but but the but the like Princes of the Universe and the the you know, uh, uh, shoot, it's the other big song. Uh, who wants to live forever? Oh, yeah. And then that our fantastic song. Get this and One Vision from Iron Eagles, the Year of Queen, nineteen eighty six. Holy cow! Um, so, uh, so yeah, so Highlander. But there's a movie in March that I think to this day is still a little quite a bit underrated and I think based on things that are happening now in our society is a very interesting movie to sort of go back and look at and that's Gung Ho I was going to say yeah yeah, I should rewatch that one too I, I think the the ending is a little too happy and a little too maybe a, little, a tad hypocritical for my taste mm-hmm. but I, I think you go back and look at that movie and I think it's a very there's a, there's a real interesting thing going on there about race relations and the America the, the, the America yeah. the, the can do spirit and whatnot. and I think for a good portion of that movie it sort of gets the that idea right that America is so in love with our own sense of what we think America is supposed to be that we have no room for other people's ideas and work ethics and whatnot. and hmm. then you know the movie comes down to just like well yes they can learn something from us too that kind of stuff and yes there's some nice things that we can all learn from each other, uh, but I, and I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan, of course. So I don't know. I, just, I don't. That, that's movies when people like sort of like give Ron Howard the the cold shoulder. Sometimes I say go back and look at Gung Ho. Yeah. I think that, that, nice that period of the comedies that he was doing, I think Gung Ho is is a, is a very interesting film. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to go back and look at that. Yeah, again. I think I'll bump that um, up on my queue. The year of George Went continues. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Uh, that same day, a movie called Crossroads See, came out. This is this is what gets scary for me because I've gotten to that age 
where it's like, I know I've seen this movie, but I don't remember a thing about it. I, I saw it when I was a kid, and I think I saw it because of Ralph Macchio being in it. <laughs> right. But have no memory if it's any good. Walter, I, Hill, Walter Hill did it? Yeah, Walter mm-hmm. Hill directed it, and I watched this one recently, too, um, because I, like you, I know I saw it, and I don't remember that <laughs> uh, yeah. much from it. I gotta see it again. Um it's an interesting movie, but it's not. It doesn't have a whole lot going on in terms of story. I mean, it's it's yeah. an interesting movie about. I, I I love that in the middle of the in this decade that in the middle of it we got a, a movie about a guy who's you know Ralph Macchio is is, pa- is really passionate about you know the bl- blues and Delta blues and hmm. you know uh, uh, you know Robert Johnson's deal with the devil and all that stuff. Um, I think that's a really cool thing to have, um, you know, an, an unusual you know story to see at this time. And I think Ralph Macchio is pretty good in it. And um, I'm Joe Seneca, I yep. think is mm-hmm. the, yeah is the is is the man he, that he's interested in. He's he's learning more about. He's this you know legendary blues man in this you know living in this you know nursing home and. You know, he's not talking to Ralph Macho, so Ralph Macho gets a job at the nursing home so he can actually like talk to him some more and learn more about him. And he's going to this, you know, he's going to Juilliard to learn about music and everything. And then they go on the road together. He he wants he just helps the old guy escape from the nursing home, and they go on the road together to find uh, I I don't remember now, but um, but it's, it's basically a, you know it's a road movie with these two guys. Okay, and I can get behind that. Yeah, and you know the music is of course terrific because you know. That's Walter Hill's. What's one of his special? Right, Cooter. Yeah. Right, Cooter. You know, um, and you know, Ralph Macchio's doing some pretty good guitar playing in this movie. For and, real? Yeah. I, oh, wow. I mean, I was watching. I was like, "Is he really doing it?" And I was like, "Yeah, he's he's playing some really complex stuff because he's going to Juilliard and he's learning how to play, you know, Bach and Beethoven on the guitar. You know, single string, you know, guitar playing. Jeez. Um, you know, some really complex stuff." And he's doing it. He does a pretty darn good job in this movie. And I just, I, you know, it doesn't really work as a movie because the story you can tell it's really flimsy. It's got a lot of like road movie cliches in it. You know, they eventually they meet up with Jamie Gertz. You know, of course, you know, the runaway. Yeah, she's the runaway. You know. <laughs> tough chick, man. Yeah. yeah, she's the tough chick. She, runaway. she wears shorts. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and he, she's gonna, you know, be the person that mends their friendship when it falls apart and everything. So it it goes through a lot of the usual road movie tropes, and it's fairly predictable. And you kind of realize kind of how thin the, the storyline is, but it's got some interesting things in it. It's certainly not the worst film Walter Hill has made. It's not even close. But uh, you know, if you're interested in the music and that kind of thing, if you're interested in Delta Blues and the origin stories of that, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I rewatched yeah. Black Snake Moan recently, so now I'm kind of oh, like, I should I should go back movie. and check that out. Yeah, I'd be curious. Yeah, Money Pit, funny. Watched it, watched it again the other night. I'm because I, I needed to laugh. I had just a crummy day, and I just like I'm gonna just put on a movie that's gonna make me laugh, and I don't care. And Money, Money Pit makes it me makes laugh. you laugh. Yeah, the first that's ha- all the, there is to at it. least the first hour. I don't think the first yeah half, the when they get to divorce hour, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, it, then yeah. it loses it loses steam. But Uh, and yeah. we had that summer we had our house remodeled 
Oh, and boy. So, like, the money pit, like, we laughed our asses off during that movie because there's so much in it that we could relate to. Like, the Joe Mantenga character was definitely <laughs> the best. He's the he best. was the guy that came to our house every day, you know. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, yeah. Oh, two weeks. Yeah, yep. everybody's saying, no, two, two weeks. four weeks, we'll have it done. No, no, no. And I love the scene when they, when the, 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 Workers finally show up, and it's like the Road Warrior. Yes, you know, it's, it's so funny, I mean, and there's some funny lines in it. And Tom Hanks and Charlie Tom Long Hanks are good so in it. And I, you know, this got this is a movie that you know some critics hated, and others kind of most people dismissed. But I, I go back to it; still makes me laugh. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, 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 yeah, it's not meant to be high art, and, yeah, and right. you know, it's just it's it's slapstick, and uh, and I think Richard Benjamin has a really good handle on. Just, I mean, because I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's full of just scenes where the house just can constantly falling apart. But you know, like Colin mentioned, it has those side characters and things that are brought in, yeah. you know, to, to liven things up. And yeah, no, the money, the money pit has always, you know, people, you know, it was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. It was an Amblin production. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was sort of the. I remember. I remember. I think it was on like Entertainment Tonight or something like that, where I saw like Spielberg's teaming up with Tom Hanks, and the only scene they showed from the Money Pit was that like the scene where he's in like the recording studio and like oh. the lights behind him, and he's yeah, like you yeah, know he's yeah. bouncing his head. And I'm just like, what kind of psychedelic thing is Spielberg and <laughs> Tom Hanks going to be doing here? And then I'm just like, oh, it's just the house is falling apart. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, there's some great set pieces in this that are like you know. Buster Keaton esque, you know, some yeah, stuff no, that happens totally. to Tom Hanks just when he gets sinks into that. That, that is, is a, the best. That is the best. Um, yes. You know. Well, I mean, the, the the huge set piece where he, you know, is, is caught in, you know, in the plaster and he has to go and yeah. rides down thing. the hall and she's yeah. trying to get the the oh, electrical yeah. cord out. Um, yes. I remember. I didn't see Money Pit in the theater. This, there, I have a very specific memory from this month in '86, though, is that uh, my dad had gone to Vegas. I think with my uncle I think and so my mom and I and we went to we saw two movies that one particular we saw Gung Ho and then we saw Police Academy 3 back in training (laughs) oh my good lord yes uh, yes I saw Police Academy 3 and 4 in the theaters (laughs) thank you very much uh, and they're the God. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's not as good as two. Strong, they're the strongest in the series. I think <laughs> three and four. Yeah, I really, think so. really. I, I I'll give you. I like two. Okay, I, I haven't gone back with you after two. <laughs> you never Good really. You. you didn't. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't get to Bobcat. I'm stunned you didn't do your research. Five, you didn't put yeah. that on your Netflix queue. Police Academy three. No, that's uh, when Bobcat and Tim Kazarinski showed up. No, that's they what, showed up in the second one. They're in the second one. Yeah. But oh, okay, the third one's when they become cops. Right. right. Yes. Oh, this is getting scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? One of the joys of April Fool's Day is the ending. Thomas F. Wilson. He's hilarious. He's in only that. in the movie for like forty minutes, though. Eh. Spoiler alert. Well, um, I guess, but he's he's a riot. Well, the, I think I, that's one of the reasons I watched April Fool's Day is because I he was in Biff it. Is in it, and then yeah. of course you have two people from just one of the guys, which was one of my favorite movies. Clayton Roner and Deborah somebody. Was it the 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 bitchy girl? Yeah, yeah. She's in just one of the guys. Yeah, I don't remember her in just one she's, of the guys. She tries to seduce. Joyce Hauser in the that cave. is her in the cave. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think she's also in Remote Control with yes Dylan, which I actually really like. Her name now I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it might be a Deborah something. 
Okay, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Many Deborahs. I'll have, have to look that up. Yes, 1986. Um, yeah, April it's, Fool's Day is dumb, but I kind of like. Well, it. yeah, I mean, it actually, I mean, the the twist ending really kind of makes no sense when you watch <laughs> the movie. But I, but I always had a fondness for it because I'm just like, well, at least not everyone died. Right. <laughs> that was, I know. Spoiler. Um, I always like the poster, where she's got the her hair tied back in a noose and a knife behind mm, her yeah. back. Yeah, like behind her back. And mm-hmm. yeah, like but I think the last movie of this month. Is uh, a very seminal film for me, of course. Yeah, yeah. And that's, no, I loved it as a kid. I, yeah. I, I still like it a lot. Uh, and that's Lucas, mm-hmm. um, another movie that made me feel okay about you know being a geek or a nerd or an outsider. Because you love but, locusts. Oh uh, well, yes, <laughs> right. Um, now this is a movie that I. <laughs> this is the first time I was ever an extra in a movie. I was an extra in Lucas. I was in the pep rally scene. So at one Where was point, it filmed? In Arlington Heights. Oh, wow. In uh, what, my hometown of Arlington Heights at Arlington Heights. What was... Once was Arlington High School. At that time, it had already closed down. Um, and uh, so it, it's... It, I love looking back on it because I think to myself, wow, at one point in my life, I was in the same room with Corey Haim, Charlie Sheen, Jeremy Piven, and Winona Ryder. And, and Carrie Green. And Carrie Green. <laughs> And uh, and the thing about that collection of people being in one room today, uh, what that would be like. Uh, but, yeah, uh, four of them going, who are you, Miss Green? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of them dead. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And so oh, I, that's oh, Rest I in know. peace. I, and I met him on the set. I met Corey Haim on the set. I got a picture of him. And, and it was uh, all downhill from there. It was there. all downhill oh, from no. there. Don't ever meet me, celebrities. He's uh, gone out for the football team. Well, the males who demonstrate physical prowess are the most attractive to the females. This equipment just doesn't fit. It's you that don't fit. What'd you say? All right, come on. You heard me? What position? Pro. Okay. Okay. Sure, we're big. You're not cut out for this. You have no right to stop me. Lucas, you and I were just friends. You can't make me quit! So, but I, and I remember see, finally seeing the movie and really loving it. I, I thought it was really wonderful. And people got issues with the ending, at least like the very last scene with the with the clap. Um, I, you know, I know there's there's a little bit of a hypocrisy in that scene, but at the same time, I think that's kind of what high school is like. I think you're still... Kind of hypocritical <laughs> in high school, uh, whether you know it or not, and um, you gotta love a movie that ends on a freeze frame, right? Yeah, that, that mm. too. Um, so I, I'm I'm a little more forgiving of the ending, but I but I I mean I like that he doesn't you know I mean you know I, I like what happens at the football game. I love all this. I, mm-hmm. I really like the movie a lot. I, yeah, I think it, I yeah. Think it's it still holds up. The 1986, yeah. the year of movies where people can't catch footballs. Right. Bad and best of times. <laughs> right. just, we're, we're developing themes here, people. Right. Both shots. Um, that's why no, this is so much fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I, you know, I got, always got a soft spot in my heart for Lucas, and I think it holds up today. I think it's a yeah. really solid teen film, uh, and you know, in a year that, or in a decade that is known for being, you know, sort of the golden age of teen films. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've been raising my hand with the ending question. Um, it's not even so much hypocrisy that I that I think of the ending. I just don't never bought it. 
Like I just, well, I mean, and like all cheering him. Everybody or loves him. Yeah, everybody loves him. Yeah, everyone loves him. He gets the gets the the jacket and whatnot. Like if like if Charlie Sheen gave him the jacket, I would buy that. Yeah. You know, because they're friends. I because yeah. like, I love that whole relationship. I love the idea of him having the one jock guy that he protector pr- protector that yeah. he. I, was, I mean, it's not it's not even like a my bodyguard thing. It was just like for no reason this kid helped out this jock just to be a decent person right. and the jock recognized the decency in him I don't buy the fact that the entire school was like oh he caught, almost caught a football and you know he's I, a hero you know, I mean but, I, I buy it because I think the impact of him like being so severely injured and being carried away on a stretcher I think that does affect you know teenagers when that happens at their school yeah and I think there's you know, but they were they weren't sure if he was going to make it out or not, and Maybe. you know, like what what you know what what the what the you know his the final diagnosis would be on his condition and everything, and you know, I, I think David I think David Salter who wrote and directed the movie I think he sells it enough. You know, he's you know showing you know the concern of you know everybody in in the in the ho- in the hospital waiting room and everything. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I never really had a problem with it. You think he hooks up with Winona Ryder at the end? A little bit, yeah. You think so? I mean... Just a little bit? Oh, 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 oh you're asking me, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do I think he does? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought you were asking, uh, does he? Yeah. Because uh, they, they do have a like, glance at each other. They have other a glance, finally yeah. recognizing nice. that the girl that yeah been there the whole time. Yeah. But I, but and I like that they don't lay that on really thick at the end. True. Um, no, Lucas should have died, and Carrie Green should have <laughs> like been like guilt ridden for the rest of her stinking life. But you're not bitter. No. no not at all. <laughs> all right. Oh, poor Lucas. Um, let's, get I mean, through, let's get through a couple more months, um, and then we'll yeah. take a break. Okay. April. What stands out? Um, critters. Critters. Yeah. <laughs> critters is funny. Yeah, Critters, Critters is Critters is a, a fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, we're in the post Gremlins era now, obviously. So obviously, there's a there's a connection there, and there, there's it, it, it's it's got a goofy sensibility to it. It's got a, you know a couple I, imagine, imaginative ideas about the creatures and mm-hmm. uh, where they come from and why they exist and all that kind of stuff. And I even like Critters too. Um, but yeah, is that the one with Leo, or is that Critters three? That's Critters three. Oh, okay. Yes. Wow. Um, so the, I think April eighteenth is a really interesting day. Uh, it is. You got you got Absolute Beginners, which is a movie that I really liked. I remember renting Absolute Beginners, and I was like really into movies that had because of After Hours in Brazil. I was really interested in just movies that had amazing camera work. Yeah, and Absolute I, Beginners has there. that amazing opening shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that which is, is the only thing I've ever seen of Absolute Beginners. Oh, it's just not, because I've waited because I've waited to have a proper copy of it right. and I've just you know like I was shown that shot in film school at Columbia yeah. and it's like well that's pretty amazing but it was never available like he's like I taped this off of television so okay. we could see it and like oh okay yeah. well, like, yeah. well I mean I, I got the DVD um, it's 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 got it's got problems but the music is amazing it, you know it, it, it's, it's got a it's got a terrific soundtrack and I like it kind of predates Moulin Rouge and the kind of film that it was and uh, you know, once it gets into the <laughs> once it gets into the kind of the race riot stuff, it's it's a little clunky and everything. But as a kind of a, I mean, I'm a fan of you know sort of cult musicals, and I so sure uh, I can see Absolute that. Beginners is definitely a cult musical. It's not 
you know, endearing in the way that something like Phantom of the Paradise or Little Shop of Horrors is. It's a little hard to warm up to mm-hmm. in terms of the characters. They're a little wooden, but it's uh, stylistically, you know, this is a pretty extraordinary film. I hate to be predictable, but surprise, surprise, I love father and son stories. And uh, At Close Range was my first exposure as a kid to a very dark one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With two amazing performances. There's a lot of people in this movie that, I mean, they're starting out. You know, Kiefer Sutherland is in this Oh, that's right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and Chris Penn. Or not Chris Penn. Yeah, Yeah, Chris Chris, Chris Penn. Chris Penn playing Sean Penn's brother. Right. And, you know, uh, doing a really good And I just, even even just looking at the title, I think of... Live to Tell, yeah. the yeah. song. The Madonna, yeah. the, that Madonna song plays throughout that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Madonna songs. Yeah, great, me too. Great song. mm-hmm. yeah. It's a it's a great movie. I, I haven't watched it in a while. I would like to. It's it holds up. It does. It's, yeah, it's right. really quite good. It. The stories about crime families. You know, the Animal Kingdom is still. You just got a television show oh, and yeah. whatnot. Uh, which is a, a, a good I was not a fan of Animal Kingdom. But uh, but at close, at close range continues to hold up, and you know, the performances in, the, in that movie are yeah. really pretty extraordinary. The, the final confrontation just between Penn and Walking Alone is kind of a masterclass. That might have been my first Penn movie I saw. You're gonna die. You got the guts to kill me. I'm your blood. I'm your family. You're not my family, not anymore. Yeah, you're crazy. Crazy, gone crazy. Nope. Listen, listen. What? I know how it is. Cops got you in there, get your head all fucked up. I know how that is. My mind's simple, Dad. Before they got you twisted, you must have known something. You must have felt it. I gave you money. I gave you a car. I took you in. But don't that mean something? Means what? Means what? It means I got feeling for you. What fucking feeling? I care. What do you... I love you. What? Is that what you want to hear? Hmm. But look at that. I mean, the 18th, you don't get movie days like this. No. Like, that, that, that last linger in, in different ways, obviously. Absolute Beginners, At Close Range. And, we're, and now we're, go, we're going up the list of the box office because we're going to get to a notorious bomb in a second. But uh, De Palma's Wise Guys came out this day. Which is a movie I've always found funny. I like it. I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah. It's... I rewatched it for the De Palma episode a while back, and I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. Very, very, uh, very much championed by Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. At the time, they were big fans of, of the movie, and uh, yeah, I mean, it is always is always held up for me. In my yeah. mind, I got that mixed up with Tough Guys for a while. For some well, also, I mean, again, we're talking about weird parallels in the same year. Wise Guys, and there was another film that began essentially with a horse race gone wrong. Hmm. Can you think of what the other movie in 1986 was? Ooh. That begins with a, well, actually it's more of a horse race gone right, but it centers around a horse race and crime and... People on the run because of a horse race. I don't. Two know. different homages to the killing, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, uh, Blake Edwards, a fine mess. Oh, wow. God, I, I don't. Never, I don't I remember never, that. Yeah. Yes. Very, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Fine mess is a fine mess. Yes, it is. But um, yeah. yeah. Wise so, guys. Good weird, choice. weird, weird uh, parallels this year we're finding here. <laughs> 
Not and a fan of Legend. Not a fan of Legend. No. no. Never have been. No. no. No, it's really bad. It's 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 except for the final third. I'll 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 give it up for the Tim Curry stuff. Oh, yeah, oh sure, yeah. you know, Tim yeah. Curry's. Yeah, the the but you have to sit for an hour yeah. that Oof. to get to that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So fantastic makeup effects and Tim Curry. That's pretty, pretty much, much yeah. yeah. That's what all there is. <laughs> it's, 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 watch one those YouTube of, clips. it's one of those you watch and you go, how did this get through? And okay. a legend, legendary bomb. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think um, I don't know, when was the last time you guys watched uh, Salvador? Uh, been Oliver a, Stone been a couple of years. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, I watched it a couple weeks ago and I, I think it holds up really yeah. well. Um, Early Oliver Stone I, really mm-hmm. does hold up. Yeah, and I forgot how funny a lot of it is. Like, oh God, yeah, yes. James Solution. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, the early the early stuff in the movie is very funny. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene that I just was cracking up during where they're at this like part, this like ritzy party or something, and it's like James Woods is sitting at a table with like three or four other people, and they're all sitting in chairs, but James Belushi doesn't have a chair so he's sitting on the floor <laughs> and eating his food off the table like his plate is on the table but he's sitting cross-legged on the floor picking the food off his plate and eating it and nobody's like mentioning it like nobody's <laughs> acknowledging that he doesn't have a chair it's just he doesn't have a chair he's just gonna sit there and eat his food <laughs> off the plate that's sitting on the table and it's really funny and it's never gets mentioned and um yeah, it's, it's very like, rare to hear somebody say choice. james belushi is really funny it's, yes. Well, this, yeah, this James is the Belushi before he became the annoying James yeah. Belushi. Right. This yeah. is the year of about last night, which we'll oh, get to in a second. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So Salvador holds up. Salvador. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's one of Oliver Stone's strongest films. Yeah. Um, I I was a huge fan of Richard Pryor even at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having seen stuff like The Toy and Silver Streak, and Toy. Don't ever. Don't rewatch The Toy now. No. No. <laughs> it's no. horrible. Um, and don't. Buy an autograph from Scott Schwartz at a Christmas story. Um, oh God! Screening. He's <laughs> I, and not, not that I did, but he sells. You know, like you know, they all. Whenever a Christmas story plays at a theater, they invite you know cast members to come and yeah. talk about it and everything. And Scott Schwartz is one of them. Uh, you know, he they they sit at a table and they sell autographs and everything. And he's got stacks of a glossy photographs from the toy. To sign if you really know. anything from Kidco, maybe I don't. I okay. didn't look that hard, but wow. yeah. But uh, um, his sort of semi-autobiographical yeah. film, Jojo Dancer, Your Life Is Calling. That was one yeah. of those that was like, "Hey, Dad, can I see that?" Because I love Richard Pryor, as you know, and he's like, oh. um, "But it's a really weird life story." Um, I I haven't rewatched it in a while. I just remember thinking. That it's it's kind of a mess, but it's still kind of interesting just because it's so personal of a story. And he directed it. Yeah, yeah. and he directed it too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I watched it after reading the the biography that came out a few years ago. That, sort yeah, of, I, should, that I should read that. Yeah, that. Um, and it's yeah, it's got it's got problems because you can tell like he's trying to b- make this you know really personal statement about his career and everything, but you can also tell that he's holding back. A lot. Yeah. Um, there are not a lot of great or even good Richard Pryor movies made in this decade. I mean, this is when he was in a real slump 
being in a lot of bad movies like Brewster's Millions and See no Superman Evil. 3. See no Evil and Superman 3, but this one, you know... He well, See No Evil, Hear No Evil looks like a masterpiece compared to some of those early 80s yeah. movies. It's yeah. got some big laughs. It's not but, consistent, but it's got Yeah, some it's not big great, laughs. but yeah. I mean, at least it was an idea. Early, but, early Kevin Spacey <laughs> for yes. that movie, too. But, mm-hmm. but JoJo Dancer is at least something that, you know, is it's worth interesting. looking at. Yeah. 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 Even if it's not that great. Um, boy, here's a movie that I really, I don't think I, I, I don't know. Short Circuit. Where do you guys fall on Short Circuit? Ali Sheedy fan. I know. Ali Sheedy fan. Um, I, 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 when I saw it in theaters, I don't know. I really liked it at the at the time. I have. It's been a long time since I've gone back to see it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the Fisher Stevens stuff probably doesn't hold up as well. (laughs) Um, And it is Steve Gutenberg as a semi-romantic lead. Uh, Oh God! Yeah, yeah. Uh, reuniting with G.W. Barely from Police Academy, of course. John Ah, directed it. John Badham directed it. Does a Saturday Night Fever uh, homage in it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, Ali Sheedy is beyond adorable in the movie. And the song was "Who's Johnny?" Yes, God, that's the worst song. Yes, that's yeah. Mm -hmm. He Uh, starts dancing around the room to that song. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's. I think that song is the reason why I'm afraid to watch it again. I feel like it's. I feel like it's gonna. It's not very prominently featured in the movie, if I remember right. It's just it's kind of on the radio, I, I think. I mean, if you remember the yeah. video, you might be traumatized. But <laughs> right, yeah, it's, uh, it's maybe we should just go past short circuit. Just <laughs> okay. one of those movies that like you're gonna say, let's just put it, it on. It was, it <laughs> no, yeah, let's watch it. Let's do a commentary. Um, yeah, but Cisco and Ebert really didn't like Short Circuit, but they love Short Circuit too. Yeah, that, that's that's how strange. a lot of people I know. They a lot of love, people really. Yeah, they love Short Circuit too. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Michael McKean goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Fire with Fire. Um, <laughs> oh God! Oh, Craig no. Sheffer, Virginia Madsen. Any uh, no fans? Mm-hmm. Okay, never mind. Go for it. No, there's no. nothing to talk no, about. No, no, no. I just wanted. I just wanted to bring it up. Okay. I didn't want it to go let be left in the lurch. Sure, sure, sure. There was a little movie called Top Gun that came out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Colin loves Top Gun. My dad loves Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. I've I, never loved Top Gun. Never loved it. Either. I feel the need. The need. Yeah, I think it was funny because the movie got praised. I mean, I mean, it not praised for the film, but the praised for its aerial photography sure. and everything mm-hmm. and the all stuff that. Stuff is good. It's okay. Like it never did anything for me. Like it never. Like I, mean, I never. never go, oh, I'm not. It's oh, not that much I mean, better than Iron Eagle. Well, I mean, it's like I guess maybe on a technical level at the time it was pretty great, but like I never like got involved. I never felt like emotionally or involved. At, in it at all when I watched it I was like I don't know what these planes are doing or I don't know who's <laughs> in that plane I don't know what plane I'm I don't know I don't know what I'm supposed to be rooting for or what I'm supposed to hate or I don't know like what I'm supposed to feel is, when I watch this is Top Gun sort of the template for that that brand of action movie that we've seen like movies like Kingsman and you know where, where it's basically you put people through mm. the basic training stuff for Two thirds of the movie, and then you give them a mission. Well, I mean, Stripes is kind of like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know yeah, yeah, Stripes yeah, yeah. and Top Gun and uh, Kingsman, G.I. Jane is like that, where you know, you put people through basic training and then you have to give them a mission. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 
I can see that. And it always falls it's apart a, when they a, hit the mission. Stripes falls apart when they hit the mission. G.I. Jane, for me, falls apart when they hit the mission. Yeah. Was yeah. this the first appearance of Simpson and Bruckheimer? No, I, I, I no, no. Flashdance. Oh, Flashdance. Yeah. Flashdance. Okay, yeah. You know, it was. It was the. I mean, Flashdance was a huge hit too. So they just but became a brand. This. Yeah. I mean, this was, was. I mean, it was the perfect storm. It was. Yeah. It was the perfect soundtrack. It was the, the pr- production. The 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 right time. The 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 cat. The, the Tom Cruise hitting the pinnacle of his popularity, basically. And hitting the volleyball. Hitting the volleyball. Yeah. I mean, does the movie get any interesting, more interesting for you when you consider the Tarantino? Tarantino. No, no. Not really. No. No, <laughs> no because some of that, some of what he says about it is. Just Incorrect. Well, yeah, the, you know, yes. The that you know what? I think he's just projecting. You can write yeah. my tail. Is not, yeah, he's, that's, that's wrong. Never said that. No. Right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny, but I mean, it, I mean, Tarantino's take on it is kind of funny, but it's not gonna like you know. It, I never <laughs> really took it that. Soon. I think okay. that I, I just remember. I guess it's still true that I was. I, I became a huge fan of Anthony Edwards. I just thought he was. He's a good supporting player. I thought player it was in interesting this. he was in it because I knew him from Revenge of the Nerds. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, and he yeah. was like, oh, That's now he's true. all manly and bulked up. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Right. That was interesting. Not for long. Early um, McRyan. Early oh, McRyan, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've lost that love and feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty incredible cast when you look at it. I mean, oh, yeah. just from you know Tom Skerritt's in it, Michael Ironside's in it, and I'm not a Val Tony Kilmer. Scott guy in general, though. But well, this was, yeah. Tony Scott got more interesting later in his career. Yeah. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, the period where he did. I mean, because I mean, this is when he was in bed with Simpson and Bruckheimer. So it was Top Gun, and the next Days year, of he did Days of Thunder, which is better than Top Gun. I, I've always said that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I stand by it. I don't care. Um, Beverly Hills Cop Two was was the year after that in '87. But the period of Tony Scott, you know, again Tarantino, True Romance, Crimson Tide, that Crimson Tide section is best movie. I think. I, I think second. I like True Romance very much, uh, but so that that period I think is, and he's, he's had some movies sprinkled in throughout his career that I think are interesting. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, the uh, weekend of the twenty third was very interesting for me because um, I was I was already a, a fan of Poltergeist, uh, and I actually there is some traumatic imagery in this movie. But it, it's one of those movies that sort of goes up its own ass and becomes really horrible in the last act. Yeah. But, like, there's just, like, the giant tequila worm that Craig Oof. T. Nelson spits out. Yeah. yeah. God, I, I saw that way too young. Way, way too young because, like, yeah. I was just terrified. That of and the braces. The braces, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. braces. And I, and I actually think the scene where the old guy beats him. Let me in. Yeah, that's he's he's great. Yeah. Yeah. And like I mentioned, Cobra. It's a dumb action movie that I, it's completely over the top. Probably very offensive. I still like it. <laughs> Your friend. I'm, I'm an apologist for Stallone in that period. Can I do my Cobra impression? Your French fries are drowning. Thank you. <laughs> um, you want some ketchup? Because Bridget, some Bridget Nielsen. This is, a, this is the post Rocky Four. Bridget yeah. Nielsen Stallone. Life. I'm, I'm dating her, so she's going to be in my movie. Yeah. And then she's got a scene where she takes the French fries and she literally drowns them right. in ketchup. And Rini Santoni, who played Dirty Harry's partner back in the seventies, is Cobra's partner. Right. 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 And he had a thing for gummy bears. And how, good memory. Are Thank there how many, Cobra Man? How oh. many Frank Stallone songs are in this film? At least one. I think okay. one. The, the yeah. ending. The ending is, is a Frank Stallone song. Okay. Um, it's and it's a weird. It's a it's a weirdly out. I mean, it's Frank Stallone, so maybe it's saying it's weirdly out of place is foregone conclusion. But um, 
it, it sounds like a I don't, I don't know I forget the name of it. I'm, I'll look up the name I'll look okay. up the name because I because I it was on one of those CDs that I yeah. used to give you yeah. me yes oh Jake Speed yes oh well, yeah well Jake Speed came out <laughs> yes that it that's all yeah that's all you yeah got. <laughs> <laughs> just um, because the J- Jake Speed had the only the only reason like I said the, the poster you look at the poster of Jake Speed and it looks like one of those. Mid like King Solomon's Mines, you know, mid eighties sure. wants to be Indiana Jones Jones, poster, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it starred. It had in it, uh, shoot, who was that? It was a New World production, and the the girl that was in it was Karen Copens, who played Jim Carrey's girlfriend in Once Once Bitten, oh. and she was very lovely. Okay, so she's a prominently featured yeah. in the poster in jeans, and I was like, "That looks nice." <laughs> uh, that's all it took for us back. Then. That's pretty much yeah. It's it shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't be watched ever. <laughs> but you know, all right. Uh, so there shall you go. we take a quick break, fellas? Yeah, because yeah. we're we're gonna enter the summer close to half and, through, way through, and yeah. summer's got a lot of stuff to talk about. All a lot right. of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be right back. So we're back, and we might be a little bit loopier than before. We've had beer and pizza, and we watched half of the room so far. <laughs> Eric, what are your impressions? Because this is your first viewing of the room. I know it's not 1986, but we were watching it. I have to bring it up. Ugh. <laughs> um, it, it's... <laughs> Freaking fantastic! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but seriously, I mean, I've never seen the room. So full full disclosure, this is my first time ever seeing the film, and I would I would never have watched it alone, and I never watched it with a giant crowd as people tend to do it in theaters. So just seeing it with a couple people that have seen it just to watch my reaction to it is really the perfect way to, it's, to watch. It really it. is the best way to watch it. With, yeah, and for anybody for mm-hmm. that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it does bring me back to the days of renting movies with friends at the video store, and we would intentionally seek out bad movies. Yeah. And mm. take them home and eat pizza. Well, we wouldn't be drinking beer at that age, but still. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get back to it, fellas. All right, June, I'm, yeah. June 1986. I, yeah, I mentioned... Um, I, I, I talked enough about Invaders from Mars, but I, as, I, as, as I mentioned, I'm, I have a soft spot for it, knowing it's not a t- particularly good movie. You've um, seen the original, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Invaders from Mars is one of those early science fiction movies along with like War of the Worlds and whatnot that I really sure. responded to very early. It's uh, a pretty faithful re- remake. I mean, relatively right down, be- right down to the beginning or to the ending. Yeah, um, but the original is much better. Yeah, clearly. I didn't see My Little Pony. Um, you will. You will next year from Lionsgate. What? They're oh, making course. a My Little Pony movie. Oh, oh yeah. wow! Did you know about this? You got to cash in on the Brony pop. Although, yeah. <laughs> although, I mean that—that's been. I mean, is that still a thing now? I mean, is the Bronyism? Is that? I mean, the whole cult of My Little Pony. I know it reached its zenith at least mm-hmm. in the last five years. 
Um, there's been at least two documentaries made about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's funny to think that like it actually started back in 1986, you know, or at least or, or 85, whenever My Little Pony first came out. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, it's just it's just weird to think about that. Um, Space Camp came out on June 6, and Space Camp was a movie that was troubled because. It was about the you know these people who you know go in this you know space shuttle simulator and then it accidentally takes off and actually jettisons them in space and they have to figure out how to get home with what little knowledge they have and it came out it had the misfortune of coming out post months after the Challenger disaster yeah. which was one of those big moments that everybody remembers where they were when that happened. Yep, um, and. It wasn't a very good movie anyway. Uh, I mean, it was it was it had an interesting storyline, and I think it's kind of one of those movies, you know, like The Goonies, I guess, where you know you got these young people who have to, you know, figure out how to get home, and it's kind of an adventure story. And sure. it, it, you know, I guess it just it meant well as a piece of entertainment. It just had this dark cloud hanging over it when it was released. Yeah, I'm, I'm curi- kind of curious. I mean, I, I don't know if it's actually improved with age. I, I actually had a friend who was kind of obsessed with space at the time in, in a different way that I was. And this was like his favorite movie. Oh, wow. Space Camp, yeah. And, uh, and in fact, it was in 1987. Uh, I went with him and his parents, uh, and we spent a week at Space Camp Ooh. in Alabama. Hmm. Uh, didn't do the training, but we toured it and did the museum. And it was, it was fan- really fantastic. Um, but but you're right. I mean, it, it's right in that sort of that Amblin Spielberg mode where you put kids in in a situation that they all have to use their special ki- skills to solve. Mm-hmm. Probably each of them has a thing they have to overcome, essentially. And you know, Larry, Larry B. Scott's bad at math, and Leah Thompson has you know problems parking the space shuttle. And um, but yeah, I'm just I'm I'm wondering if that movie got a worse rap than it really needed to. Because of the situation, I just yeah. remember be- the acting being really bad. Yeah, in spite uh, of everything, young like, Joaquin Phoenix. It was in this? young Joaquin Phoenix. Kate Capshaw was a star. Oh, yeah. of it. Uh there was a bunch of other Tate Donovan's of, first Tate movie. Donovan, that's who I was thinking <clears> of. And, and it was like a cast of young actors, but they weren't. Mm. Um, that's that's I, my memory of it. it yeah. yeah, I never, I, I never can't. like like hated it at all. I never hated no, it. Yeah, no, I just, no, no. I just remember. Kind of, yeah. Two, two stars, two and a half this. stars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just don't go up, don't go up in space with Tom Skerritt. That's all you need to know. Well, he didn't go up in space. Well, that's true. Yes. He, he stayed on the ground. That's yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 1986 was the summer of Twist and Shout. You know, two comedies came out back to back that used that song very prominently. Yeah, uh, it was back to school. The back other one? to school yeah. and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <clears throat> it's interesting because Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think. Just because of the circle we run in, Nick DiGiulio's reaction to this movie um, might have, like, it just sort of made me rethink it in terms of the class issues, I guess you could say, or the, you know, him being a privileged suburban kid who gets to go off and have an adventure. I don't hate it nearly as much as he does. I find a lot of really funny things in this movie, Jeffrey Jones and, uh, um, even Charlie Sheen's cameo is great. Uh, so, I mean, I like it, but I don't love it. And I've actually, f- I, even when I was uh, the type of kid to stay home sick a lot, um, I I don't know. I, I've always found 
Cameron to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I know that's probably how he's intended to be. Yes. But I just uh, he got on my nerves so much, and that's how I've always felt about it. But um, yeah, I'd like it. I, 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 it's like a three star movie for me. Mm, it was all. It's always been a three star movie for me. And one of my fondest pay per view memories is when this movie eventually I didn't see in the theater. And when it eventually came out on pay per view, the week because you remember pay per view at the time, uh, they were there. It was a schedule. It wasn't like you could just call up a movie. And yeah. well, there was there was a period no on demand style to it, yeah. right? Yeah. And then it eventually there was like a schedule to it, so you had to like check the schedule, and then you're like, oh, I want to order that. And if you didn't order it on time, you'd miss like five or six minutes. Yeah, of a thing. Oh, okay. okay, I remember that. Yeah. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, and, but and the thing about pay per view, which is also kind of fun, is that you would. Like have on the channel, you have the previews for like a half hour before the movie, okay? And then you just sit there, and for like two minutes, you hope the pay per view doesn't shut off. And the week the Ferris Bueller's Day Off came on, it didn't shut off all week. Wow! wow. For that movie, and I watched it every day, <laughs> every night at seven o'clock. I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off because it just it stayed on. I mean, sure, yeah, it just it, it, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm just like every night. I'm just like it's on again. It's staying on again. It's like the episode <laughs> of Friends when Joey and Chandler. I know this might be the best reference, but Joey and Chandler uh, free porn and whatnot, and they don't want to turn the television off because they think it'll shut off the porn. So they shut it off and they turn it back on. We have free porn. <laughs> so now it's like no. how they run Christmas Story on Christmas Day. Right. Yes. It's like yes. All yeah. Day but long. I, for from Monday to Friday, I watched Ferris Bueller's Day off five nights in a row. Wow. wow. Grace. Grace. Look, I can give you every assurance, Mr. Rooney, that Ferris is home and he is very ill. In fact, I debated whether or not I should even leave him. Grace. You know, it's it's one of those movies that, you know, when it came out. Uh, you know, it was like the perfect sort of teenage fantasy. You know, it was like the ultimate sort of middle finger to authority. But it was coming from a kid who was, you know, very overprivileged. And I never really caught on to that when I was younger. Right. Um, mm-hmm. To me, now I, I look I look at John Hughes movies, John Hughes teenage movies a little differently now. They're all about privileged kids on the North Shore, and I work in the North Shore. And <laughs> so I, I see them, I watch these movies a little bit differently now. But that I mean, not in a bad way. But um, it's you're just more aware of it. Yeah, I'm I'm more aware that like Ferris, the character of Ferris Bueller is is very much kind of a a, you know a a real thing out there in you know especially in today's youth. And um, you know, I I get why people sort of hold it, especially in this town, especially in Chicago. You know, people like really revere this film and you know this and the Blues Brothers, yeah, right. And you know the whole you know uh, you know Ferris Bueller's whole you know ethos you know his whole his whole thing about you know if you don't stop and look around a while you might miss it that whole thing um but you know there is stuff when he says stuff like you know i asked for a car and i got a computer how's that for being born under a bad sign where you just kind of do want to punch him um you yeah. know uh-huh. uh that's where i think a lot of the negativity comes and i totally get that yeah especially since it was like two like two years after i asked for a computer for Christmas, yeah, and got the computer. Oh, so I was incredibly. I got a car. No, no, no <laughs> right. I was nine. Um, no, I was. But I was. I was still, still one of the greatest Christmas presents I ever got. Speaking of that, the two C's uh, I, that I ever got. So when I when I heard that line, I'm just like, what, what, what a jerk. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like okay. Right. 
And you didn't um, feel that way about Matthew Broderick in War Games when he's changing the grades. You know? No. Well, no, again, no, no, no. I, the, the, what Colin pointed out is that the idea of the fantasy, the yeah. skipping mm-hmm. school and whatnot, we, that's something that we can all relate to sure, because yeah. at some point in our lives we hated school and would just rather stay home and play with E.T. Uh, but, <laughs> you know... <laughs> but 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 yeah, the idea of that it's this character that becomes the hero for everyone. It's the wrong role model doing the thing we all wish we could do. Like only a kid of this privilege could pull this off. And which then kind of juxtapo- juxtaposes. Does that make for a more interesting commentary that we're now watching a privilege one of this privileged youth get away with it? And the commentary is kind of flipped on its ear a little bit hmm. that. We're sort of watching, like, like uh, almost like a satire in a way. We're watching the privileged person get away with everything, while the middle class people have to cheer them on. It's almost there's kind of an interesting substatement there yeah. going on that I think that's why I can't completely dismiss the film the way that some people can just based on that one fact. Right. And speaking of commentary, it's the only John Hughes movie that has a commentary track on the DVD by John Hughes. If you get an older version of the DVD. Oh, really? I have uh, that. He he did a commentary track on it, which is actually kind of interesting to listen to. Mm. Yeah, Um, I would like to hear that. Speaking of, you guys mentioned War Games uh, just now, and there's the movie The Manhattan Project on here, which uh, I just watched... So this is Again. a comedy on here. Is it a comedy? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I watched it. No, no yeah, I not really. So. I watched it. HBO is streaming it on HBO now. Huh. Um, and I watched it last week. It's a brilliant achievement. All right, set him up. Someplace quiet, away from prying eyes. Paul. Hate to go in there, Charlie. They got stuff in there that zaps you right out. Give me a clear shot behind the ear and I'll turn them off like a switch. It really wants to be like War Games. It really wants to be Mm -hmm. that film. Yeah, it has a similar climax where they're all like gathered around and and figure out. And the the teenager, you know, who knows way too much about everything and can get himself in and out of any situation, no matter what, by using his MacGyver-like instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is the main actor, Christopher Collette, is nowhere near as endearing or engaging as Matthew Broderick is. And so I didn't really kind of find him that interesting and I didn't really care that much about him but Lithgow is terrific in the movie um, and I you know you you have to watch it and completely suspend your disbelief because a lot of things happen in this movie that are just kind of that ask the viewer a lot you know ask a lot of the viewer to you know to believe um, especially I mean the scene where he's sneaks into the laboratory and does this totally elaborate mission you know what, man? <laughs> that sequence though I think is brilliant uh, I, yeah. I mean I, I, I mean if you if you, if you got I mean out. it is the not so distant cousin to war games clearly yeah. yeah and if I think if you if you love war games I think there's a part of you kind of has to love this movie too uh, I, no, I, I'm I not, do like I'm it. not dissing yeah. the movie uh-huh. outright I'm, I, I know it sounds like I am but I, I I did enjoy it as you know I get what little, you're saying about the lead actor I get yeah, that yeah um, but like I said Lithgow's terrific and it was weird like when I watched it you know I'm, I'm doing this thing this year where I'm watching one Woody Allen movie every week for a year and uh, last week's movie was Manhattan Murder Mystery 
And in the opening credits, I was like, oh, this is, he got back together with Marshall Brickman and co-wrote this movie. That's pretty cool. And, oh, and I'm, and I just realized, oh, I'm going to be watching Manhattan Project <laughs> after Manhattan Murder Mystery. Oh, that's kind of funny. Haha, <laughs> I didn't even plan that, but that's kind of funny. And, and I'm watching, watch and, then I, and, I, and then I'm watching Manhattan Murder, uh, Manhattan Project. I'm looking, watching the opening credits, and who directed the movie? Marshall Brickman. That's right. Like, what? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is pretty crazy. That's it's it's an interesting piece of eighties, uh, you know. The nuclear stuff was, you know, the nuclear scare was kind of a big thing in the mid eighties. Um, you know, with the you know Cold War stuff was still going on, and so it, this is kind of a, you know, one of those movies to put on the list of movies that came out at the time that touched on that. It's kind of fun and a very young Cynthia Nixon. That's right. Yeah, it's very young mm-hmm. Cynthia Nixon. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, who was so good in James White last year? Yeah, she was. Um, I've become a huge Neil Jordan fan over the years. I think post-Crying Game, I caught up with a lot of his earlier work. Um, and I think it was actually after The Butcher Boy that I just like said, okay, this this guy is amazing. I love everything mm. he does. Um, Big Brave One fan, are you? Yeah, I don't hate it. Mm. I don't hate it. I think it's fine. But um, before he did something like The Good Thief, he did a movie called Mona Lisa with yeah. uh, Bob Hoskins, and he's just tremendous in this. It's like a, another sort of... You know, neo noir love story of sorts, and mm-hmm. um, Michael Caine, yeah, Robbie yeah. Coltrane. Uh, it's just, it's so good. Yeah, it's it so is. good. I think it's, I, I think it's was on Criterion, or I don't know if it still is. Maybe on Laserdisc. I don't know if it's on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah, because I was looking this up to see if I could track it down, and it said that it was. Uh, it's an out of one of those out of print Criterions. I think. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I, I definitely like the movie. I didn't. Love it though. I know there there are people that really love the movie. Uh, I I've always just liked it. And Karate Kid Part Two. Peter Cetera. <laughs> I am a man who will fight for your honor, Eric. Yes. Take um, you to my castle far away, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> never, it's fine. I never cared for it too I much. It's I fine. thought it was okay, but not. No, well, are you a Karate Kid guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love the first first Karate Kid movie. Yeah, no, I I loved it, and I couldn't wait to see this. And it just kind of, I walked out kind of feeling disappointed. It doesn't compare to the first one. I remember liking it a bit more. uh, My dad really loved the Karate Kid movies. Sure. He was was a huge fan. Even three? Uh, He liked three. I mean, he really (laughs) loved loved two, actually, two. And the thing that I like about Karate Kid 2 is that it. At least for a little while, it focuses more on Miyagi's story. Yeah, like yeah, the stuff like his the, old the rival, early, the early stuff with him and his. I mean, the, the the when it turns into Daniel versus you know the Howard self and Better Off Dead, uh, it's not quite as. Although I mean, I like the brutality of the fight at the end. I thought that was kind of yeah. Cool. I remember being taken aback by the yeah. graphic nature of it. Yeah, and of course it, has, it ends with him like what twisting his nose or something. <laughs> yeah, well he does the what with crease at the beginning of oh, right, the movie. It's right. a callback. Yeah. You know, see if Miyagi taught him that, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's then, fine. And then Peter Cetera. Yeah. Of course. Nom- uh, Oscar-nominated Peter Cetera. And then June 27th, Labyrinth. I, do you guys like Labyrinth? I I'm, I love the David Bowie stuff. I can't, I don't think I can... I, I can't really stand anything. I am not a big fan. You know something? <laughs> and I've always felt bad, because I, I know people who are. I, 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 yeah. I thought I was a bigger fan than I actually was. I we just did this at Oak Grove yeah. last month. Oh right, uh, and and I couldn't because I mean, I'm a huge Dark Crystal fan. Like I will mm-hmm. I will back Dark Crystal to the end of time. Yeah, and I sat there and I'm, I all my memories of Labyrinth. I just like well, I, I never liked it as much as Dark Crystal, but I always liked it. 
And watching it again, even though I really enjoyed the set design and clearly the, the yeah. work that goes into the puppetry and all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, it's it, narratively it's not smooth. No, I guess no, <laughs> that's because you don't yeah. like yeah because you don't like the main character. You don't care if she gets her kid. She doesn't right. like the kid. She doesn't like the main right. right. Yeah. So it's like what? Well, There's what? no stakes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and I'm, disappointed. Yeah. We, we we kind of just. Drifted past back to school well, a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, yeah. We, I do like. I, I like it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I like yeah. It. I think it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keith oh, there Gordon. we go. Back to school, everyone. Back to Keith Gordon, <laughs> uh, who was on the show, yes. and uh, uh-huh. Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. I think a very funny movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple other couple other funny movies from this month: Running Scared and Ruthless People. That's a good week. That's yeah. a, that's yeah, that is a good week. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Running Scared. I yeah. need to rewatch that again because I haven't seen it since we it, rented it. It's I, good. I need to see it's it. It's good. Again. Good Chicago yeah. movies. Yeah, good yeah. Chase. Peter Hyams uh, is kind of some kind of an underrated uh, action filmmaker. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, him yeah. two, Capricorn One, 2010. I know, but he didn't. He but, did End of Days, didn't he? He did. Well, the later Peter Hyams yeah. is yeah. Um, but the eighties, seventies, sure, sure, like, yeah, I'd go with that. Some good stuff. Uh, yeah, and I he was think, also in the OJ documentary, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, because yeah, Capricorn <laughs> one. And the, if, when you go back and watch Running Scare, what's really kind of fascinating is that the the partnership between the two of them, like, Heinz and Crystal, have really fantastic chemistry in the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that they're they're both, especially now thirty years later, they're both a little corrupt. Not in, like on the take corrupt, but they're not afraid to beat a suspect and bend the rules and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and it's very casual. Mm-hmm. It's very casual. I mean, they're being sued, and you know they're doing things that clearly they shouldn't be doing, but it's done for laughs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's I I, I I I really like that movie. Yeah, I do too. And ruthless people, I think, is really funny. We were talking about uh, off the air about. Um, you know, directors who have made you know three great comedies in their careers, and we were talking about the Zucker Brothers. We were talking about Trey Parker, and we were talking about uh, Edgar Wright and, and the Farrelly Brothers. Fairleys. And the Farrellys, yeah, the Farrellys is what brought it up. Um, and uh, I know you guys like you know you guys like Airplane for for the Zucker Brothers, Zucker Abrahams. You know, Airplane, Top Secret, and you guys are saying Naked Gun. I'd yeah. say Ruthless People is my third one. I I, th- I think it's really terrific, and I th- it's still funny today. And I don't think I mean Bette Midler. I think is actually never been funnier in anything. Bill, I would agree Bill with that. Pullman yeah. is hilarious. Bill Pullman is hilarious yes. in it. I mean, even you know Helen Slater and, and Judge Reinhold. I think they're a great team. Uh, Devito is you know the you know one of the one of his most despicable characters, which yeah. is really saying something for Devito. Yes, um, and uh, and and just the you know the whole outcome of it, and you know the how everything comes together at the end. I think is really uh, quite brilliant. A huge strike for me though the the song that Mick Jagger wrote. Oh, it's terrible! The, oh, his, yeah, yeah. the worst vocal performance he's ever oh, yeah. done. People. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was no, I was watching it uh, maybe about a month ago on cable, and yeah, I mean the the, the structure of the screenplay is it's cl- it's it's it does something that's very hard to pull off, which is farce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the 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 construction of the screenplay is really kind of beautifully done. I sometimes the jokes in between fall a little flatter than mm-hmm. they did back then. Yeah. Um. But I like but I, but I like the cast and I like the way everything comes together. It's I mean it's a it's 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 quite it's good yeah there's, yeah, there's yeah. no there's no getting around that yeah. it's very good so now july yeah. uh, oh wow we got 
I've got a doozy to start out here with about last night and big trouble. Wow, was July Fourth. That's a that's a pretty big July Fourth right there. There's a lot to talk about right there. Yeah, Where's I mean, so. what was we got to start with Big Trouble in Little China, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, because that's the movie that has certainly lingered and become an huge cult following, cult following in, yeah. in the thirty years. Uh, one of my favorite movies of this year, uh, with, without Definitely. question, mm-hmm. and. It, you know, it's it, it's the, it's the movie that soured John Carpenter on the studio system forever, which is kind of a shame considering that it got the best scores in the history of Fox. Really, it got the the best preview scores in the history of Fox, and came out and was an absolute dud. Siskel and Ebert trashed it for having, I, I remember this, too many special effects. Okay. And I, hmm. I don't know if people. I mean, it was it was a huge kind of a huge summer for Fox. We'll get into that in a second. But I it just. I mean, I got it from the minute I saw it. I mean, yeah. it just. I, I think this this movie is. I, I I've always I've always been amazed at what what Carpenter pulled off in this movie. It's a beautiful genre mashup. Yes, yeah. that never feels like. You know, tonally off because of all the genres he's mm-hmm. tackling in this, and one of the Kurt, funniest Kurt Russell yeah, performances 100%. ever. Yep. Did you get that? Where? All right, what's going on, Wang? Why'd they steal your girl? She's a what? What the hell? Sharpen their knives, huh? I can't know. Where she's... is it? What alley? Where the hell are we? What is it? A parade? Yeah, love no, it. It's 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 really terrific, and I, and I'm and it's I can see why. In a way, I can kind of see why it wasn't big in its day. It's it's kind of a hard movie to sell, like to a mass. Granted, oh yeah, granted. I mean, uh, it does not surprise me that it it gained a cult following in the way that it did. Like what happened in this movie is, you know, it's sad for you know, oh, it bombed and you know, Carpenter, you know, the movie didn't deserve that. But at the same time, it it, it couldn't have gone any other way. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you look at it, um, so it's it's such a crazy movie, and it's a, it's a, and it's and it's hard to. Just I, you know, <laughs> it's hard to sell. Yeah, um, but it's it's so great. Um, yeah, and then about last night, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, um, I, it's there's... it's not a hundred percent mammoth to me. No, it's not. No, <laughs> well, no because it's watered it, down he, mammoth. He, he, yeah, because well, he didn't write the screenplay. Tim Kazarinsky. Right. And have so. you have you ever oh, read oh, Sexual yeah, Perversity right. in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, the entire about half the play is in the opening credit sequence. Pretty much that entire conversation right. between Rob Lowe and Jim Belushi is pages and pages and pages of the actual play. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that and essentially, you you as soon as the credits end, Mammoth ends yeah. in that movie, hmm. pretty much. And uh, you know, as Jim Belushi years ago, eighty six is probably the pinnacle because between sure. this and Salvador, uh, you know, and yeah, I've I I know people that adore this movie. Uh, I've always liked it. Yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I never saw Pirates. Clearly, it was the biggest. I've bomb. never seen Pirates either. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not either. a big it's... pirate guy in general. Even with the resurgence of Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean, I just no. But that was, was a like... major, major bomb from that summer, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, Roman Polanski. Uh, oh, was Polanski! It? Yep. Yeah, was it Walter Matthau? Was Walter a Matthau was in it, and it was oh a huge, God. huge bomb for that summer. Big time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I you know. You know, I don't have too much to say. I don't have too much to say about anything going down the list yeah. until we get to nah. July 18th. Um, 
you know, we had Psycho 3, which was, eh, okay. Under yeah. the Cherry Moon, which, you know, great great soundtrack, of course, because it's a mm, Prince film. But, Prince. Um, you know, and then, but then we get to July 18th, and that's a big one right there. I have a vague memory of Club Paradise. It's Harold Ramis. I did, Harold see, Ramis. I did yeah. I did, did you go see, back? I need to see that look again. At that no, again? I didn't go back and look at it, but I did see it in the theater. I think, like, the day it came out, we all went to see it, because it was PG, and it was a Robin Williams comedy, and, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be great. And we walked out going, eh, wasn't that... Mm, it was I mean, okay. for Ramis, it's not <laughs> yeah. fantastic, but it's not... It's not the, 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 as bad as some people think it is. There's no. there's some funny stuff in it. R- Rick Moranis and Eugene Levy are hilarious in the movie. Oh yeah, that's I they're really they're really funny in the movie. Yeah. Robin Williams has 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 moments. It, I mean, it's a really it's a stupid plot, and I think the the first half is much better, much better than the second half. But it's I mean, you watch it on cable, you it's fine, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's better than Cadillac Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will yes. I will say that. Alright. Alright, here it comes. Eighteenth. Yeah. We'll be talking about this one more at length <laughs> in the weeks to come. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks. Oh that's right. Yeah, this is um yeah, I'm well I'm gonna be hosting a screening of this as that's well. True. That, I don't know when this is gonna air uh, be yeah, up, but it'll, uh, it'll be up in time. Be up in time, okay. For well sure. on, on July thirteenth, Wednesday two thousand sixteen. Uh I will be hosting a screening of James Cameron's Aliens at the Elk Grove Cinema. It's, I mean, I, I you know we I could spend a long time talking about what this particular movie means to me. Uh, not just as for a, what a masterpiece I absolutely think it is, which we can certainly get into. But this is one of those like you know time capsule movies for me that really that the the, the confluence of Things that led up to going to see this a matinee of this movie, mm-hmm. and literally facing my fears mm. from seeing Alien the first time, and, right. and, and watching Ripley go through the same experience. There are so many things with this movie on top of the of it just being, I think, a complete masterpiece. Uh, you know, when I when I make top ten lists, uh, I do tend to gravitate towards movies like this because I think they're much tougher to pull off than a Blue Velvet. I'm sorry. That's just, that's when, when people sort of talk about the, the difficulty of making certain movies, you know, epics and things like that, when everything comes together. Because you do, you do one thing wrong in a movie like this and people, you know, hammer that sure. one thing home. But you do everything right and a movie like this, I think, deserves all the credit in the world. I wouldn't argue that, but yeah. I just respond personally more to something like Blue Velvet. That, but granted, that, and that's yeah, I'm the, the, that the, makes not an argument there. sense. Knowing like you, had, you know, just have a strong yeah personal tie to this movie, um, and I want to rewatch it in time for our for our episode because it's been a while since I've watched. I've watched Alien plenty of times. Well, we'll definitely. I mean, we'll plug what we're going to be doing. Yeah, we're going to be talking James Cameron at the end of July. End of July, yeah. yeah. So I will talk about at length about these personal yes. stories uh, and at the screening. It's probably be a nine-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just on aliens. Well, yeah. Be. That sure. and like two minutes on True Lies. But, uh, <laughs> which I like too. <laughs> but anyway. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. You finished. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? Oh, that's beautiful, man. Oh, man, that, that, that just means it all. Believe this. I don't fucking believe Oh, man. 
Mel's getting short. Four more weeks and out. Now I'm gonna bite on this rock. It ain't half fair, man. Yeah, I think I think Aliens is the best film James Cameron has made. I mean, agreed. I, yeah, it's I, I don't think he's he's done one better. And that that's that was that was my impression the last time I watched it, which was uh, oddly enough same night I watched Blue Velvet a few months ago. Uh-huh. So that was my double Weird. feature night. Um, and it just it holds up beautifully. It's uh, the the you know the claustrophobia, the the hmm. aliens themselves, um, all you know the the really the you know the final confrontation, which like even in my living room, even after seeing the movie you know many times, I was still cheering when she says that big line. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just which I'm going to encourage at the screening. Yes, well, I would hope. So. Um, yeah. And it's uh, I mean it, you know. It holds up magnificently. I mean, it really does. That's it's 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 a it's a it's a great piece of work. And uh, Weaver was nominated that year. You, you, which, I mean, you have to consider the respect that the Academy oh, yeah. had for that mm-hmm. to nominate Sigourney Weaver for Best Actress for that movie. Yeah, yeah seven absolutely. nominations for that movie. That's 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 saying that's something impressive. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think for for me, Terminator Two has such a soft spot because I saw it at an impressionable age to where mm-hmm. like. I've never seen effects like this. I really respect, or I really respond to almost everything going on, including the transition of Schwarzenegger's character and all that. So, I just need to rewatch Aliens now and sort of think about it a little bit more. Yeah. I've, I've always liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's I would one say of, one of my all-time favorites, so mm-hmm. when we do our top ten list, well, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just saying. <laughs> now, Vamp! Vamp! I don't really? remember oh, very I don't much Vamp. <laughs> What's wrong with Vamp? Yeah. That's one of those pay-per-view trailers I remember seeing going, Ugh, I don't ever want to see that. It looks too weird. Oh, I saw it on cable, and my first reaction was, nice job. You you ripped off After Hours, and you threw in vampires. Good job. Mm-hmm. And, like, click. <laughs> Just watch uh, Fright Night instead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't know. Uh, end of July, uh, Flight of the Navigator. I haven't seen since I was a kid. I remember liking I, it. I a lot. still like it. It's, um, it's good. Sit down, Navigator. You have the information I require to complete my mission. Um. Anyway, so my favorite Friday the Thirteenth movie, Part Six. Oh, really? So now we're in it's August. It's funny. It's actually. It? Yeah. It's. I remember nothing play, about. It's six. got a playful postmodern feel to it. Really? Yeah. They they comment on Jason and make fun mm. of the series a little bit. It's actually got a self awareness to it that's really really clever and funny. This I I'll, I thought that was Part Eight, but no. <laughs> really? Part 8 is like ripping off the hidden. It's terrible. No, that's, that's, that's Jason no, goes no, to hell. No, no, I'm talking about Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Guy gets Jason, his, guy gets his head punched off in that that's, movie. Yeah, well, that's well, yeah. yeah. I, I've hated all the Friday the 13th movies. I've, I've never gotten the appeal to them. I just, I, I think they're all kind I, of garbage. I was rewatching Six last year. I was like, this is actually really well written. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's ever said Part 6 is their favorite. I don't think anyone remembers there was a part six. I think they went part five and then went straight to part seven. You gotta hang out with some of the Chud boys. Okay. The former Chud boys. <laughs> All, right. All right. Part um, six is their favorite. But then you got August 8th brings one of the biggest surprise hits of that year, one that I I, th- I don't think a lot of people saw coming, which was Stand By Me. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I still love it. I, I still think it's. My parents it's, went to see that at like a one screen theater in Highland, Indiana called the Town Theater, which was just. 
a beautiful old school vintage, almost like the music box, but you know, one screen uh, owned literally by a mom and pop. And they saw it, and they came home, and they said, you know, it's R, but we really want you to see this movie because we think you're going to really like it a lot. I think it was the movie that. I don't remember if it was Dan Geyer or Roger Ebert that actually sort of championed the idea that it's rated R for language, but you can take your kids yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think yeah. I think Ebert did that with Breakfast Club initially, and uh, it might it might have been Dan Geyer made some reference to it being, being rated R, but it's suitable for kids. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, it's, you know, I so related. And River Phoenix is still one of my favorite actors ever, and this this might be my favorite performance of his. Um. Yeah, maybe my own private Idaho. Mm. Yeah, but I just I I love the ensemble in this movie. Beautifully shot movie. Beautifully mm-hmm. shot. Absolutely beautifully shot. Um, was this the was the first time that there was sort of like a, a, one of Steven Spielberg's oh, Spielberg Stephen King's more personal stories was actually made because until then it was uh, in fact we we just went over his Maximum directorial. Overdrive. Yeah, we went over his directorial not debut very personal. there. Yeah, not at all. I hate the whole movie. Makes me sick. Um, Actually made me sick. Maximum overdrive. Uh, Literally, yeah. Threw up. Oh. I, I didn't throw up. I got I I, I, I got close. To, I got nauseous. There's a scene where the the slicer comes alive and slices through. Mm. It's very early in the movie when yeah. the stuff starts coming alive. And I don't know. I just had a very visceral reaction. It doesn't matter. It's a stupid <laughs> movie, but uh, yeah. But like, like we had just seen all nothing but Stephen King's horror movies, yeah. and when you hear you know movies coming out, it's like oh, it's based on Stephen King's story. The body, yeah. You just you think it's. I was then, thinking horror, right? And you just like you, you, but it's not. It's this is really sort of this beautiful personal story, coming of age, coming of age story. Yeah. Uh, again, Kiefer Sutherland, another you know, oh, yeah. in the in the film. Yeah, one one that definitely holds up. Yeah, um, I think we got to mention just really quickly. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, and I probably haven't seen it at least twenty five years. But I mean, this was also the day that. Spike Lee's sure. She's Gotta Have It came out. Mm-hmm. And it's and very good. still holds up. Okay, so good. I, I mean, I mean I, it's I got problems, <laughs> sexist kind of things sure, going on. Sure. Yeah. It. But it was kind of a... But I mean, like, that's... I mean, you you like him or hate him, you can't deny his impact He's on a true American original. cinema. And yeah. you right. know, the release of this film is, is, is pretty significant. I mean, it's a total first feature. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's him, like, wanting to do kind of like a Cassavetes or... Right, and it's made for, like, n- barely any money. It's black and white. Mm-hmm. I think probably shot on 16mm, if I'm not mistaken. And this um, was yeah. really sort of before and, the, the, like, the independent movement really started to pick up steam. Yeah. Right. It wasn't it was until, like, just like Sex, three Lies, year, and Video yeah, three years really. before that. Yeah, so um, we just want to we got to mention that. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. it's a pretty significant thing. Um, wow, there's two mo- movies that have the the fly in the title or fly yes. in the title back to yes, back on yes. the same day. Wow, yes. that's 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 unfortunate. That's just that's just bad. <laughs> someone wasn't someone was asleep with the wheel on that one. Um, yeah, but I like both of them. I, yeah, I, I do, do too. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to love the fly. The fly is great. Yeah, yep. the fly is really great. Um, still, still my most, favorite Cronenberg movie. Me too. And yeah. it's his most commercially accessible film yeah. still mm-hmm. to this day. Maybe History of Violence too, but... Um, Might have been the first horror movie that made me cry at hmm. the end. I was really moved. Hmm. This is a wild. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have that reaction to it. I mean, yeah, it just, I mean, I just, I just felt so bad for Goldblum when he. Oh yeah, no, I mean, and it's still one of Goldblum's best performances, if not his best performance. I think you're ever. right. Yeah, you know, I think mean, he's he's tremendous in the movie, 
And yeah, I mean, it still it holds up as a gross-out movie. It holds mm-hmm. up as a romance. It holds up as a tragedy. It's it it has all the elements of the great classic monster movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, your Frankenstein's, your Dracula's, and things like that. It fits right into that mold. And yeah, I I think it is one of the best movies of that year. And it does fit in with with, Cro- with the rest of Cronenberg's oh, body horror, clearly body yeah. horror. Yeah, does the you know how machines affect the body and everything? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely it's definitely a, a Cronenberg film. Yeah, even though it's also commercially accessible, <laughs> which is not something you can say about a lot of Cronenberg movies, right? Um, but it, this one still fits in. And the boy who could fly is is a charming. Little and very sad, very very dark. <laughs> yeah, I was rewatched it this year and was very surprised at how dark it was. With you know the the father, I was going to say suicide. You're talking about the Fred Gwynn stuff, right? Or, or well, that yeah, too, that too, right. that too. But okay. you know, the, but we don't we, like we the mystery. Find we find out that the father committed, committed suicide. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> and that was no, it's, it's, early Fred Savage, mm-hmm. yes. correct? As yeah. the younger brother, yeah. Nick Castle. Nick Castle wrote. Did he write the movie or just direct it? I think he did both. I think so. Okay, yeah. yeah so he's last starfighter boy who could fly. Yeah, I'll take Another those two. I'd like to interview. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a charming little family film that uh, you know kind of surprised a lot of people that it turned out sure. Uh, mm-hmm. as good. Michael Mann can't argue that can't, you know he's, he's we talked about Michael Mann on your show yeah. a little bit yeah <laughs> in relation to Drive and everything but still right. um, well this is the period when he was still good yes mm-hmm. yes absolutely agree um, is it Tom Noonan in this Tom movie? Noonan yeah, yeah Tom Noonan Joan Brian Allen Cox. Dennis Farina uh, Ryan Cox William Peterson right you know a year after To Live and Die in L.A. that's like that's a good two years right there no kidding um, back to back, yeah, yeah, and it's, and it's really it's it, it's 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 a it's a beautifully shot movie. Uh, the, the mood of of the piece and the, the sort of the the way the movie is kind of split into two halves with mm-hmm. William Peterson and Tom Noonan, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's yeah it's it, it I, I watched this, this is the movie that one of the movies that I revisited uh, in preparation for this, and the score of that movie is tremendous, tremendously. Was it Tangerine, Tangerine Dream? Dream? Yeah, uh, really. Yeah, a really a really terrific movie that you know it's funny you watch that and you you could see, I mean you see how similar Silence of the Lambs is to it you know you know the right down to the to the climax of the movie and I don't know if, I mean I know everyone's a Demi fan granted which we'll get to very shortly too but I don't know the Silence of, Silence of the Lambs I, I I like I like it's fine okay yeah it's good yeah. I don't think it's no. I don't think it should want best picture. No, but it's it's good. Yeah, I got well. Well, I I, I I love Silence of the Lambs. I got a special soft spot in my heart for Jonathan Demi, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Later. Of course. Um, but I don't know. There's not much else in the rest of August. I got really nothing to say about anything else that came out in August. I mean, I love, Shanghai I, Surprise. I kind of like Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps is fun. Uh, it was, I, it was, I don't. Uh, I don't like. Well, I don't. It's not that I think it's a bad movie. I don't like watching it because slugs just creep. Oh out. man! So so Slither but, and Night of the Creeps. But you know something? A movie that I com- did a complete one eighty on is Don't say on Texas this- Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, Don't I am say saying Texas now. Chainsaw oh. Massacre. Too. It is it is the birth of Rob Zombie style in that movie. It's abrasive. It's obnoxious. Yes, that's what I thought in eighty six. It's still true. 
It is. It is, but it's done beautifully. Okay. I I mean, the last time I, well, I can't say saw it, but the last time I was in its presence was uh, at the one of the uh, 24-hour horror movie mm. marathons at the Music, Music Box. Box yeah. it, was, it was the one time I did all 24 hours. Like mm. I did it as kind of a personal endurance test for yeah. myself. And they showed Chainsaw 2 at like 4 in the morning. <laughs> oh, and God. I was like zoning out in yeah. the middle of it. And that is a weird movie to fall asleep to. It's a to loud because, movie. Hey, yeah, everybody's shouting. Everybody's <laughs> There's just noise everywhere. Yeah. And I'm just going, God, can you keep this movie down? No. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> Everyone's shouting at me. Yeah. Why couldn't you play something <laughs> a little darker and moodier or something like that? Um, it's actually kind of a brilliant plan to play at that <laughs> slot now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, Jim, I will I, I mean, I, I, you're 100% correct that if Rob Zombie had picked one movie that his style comes from, you could pretty much pinpoint that it's this movie. That and some uh, early 70s horror yeah, to, exploitation. To mix, to mix it in and whatnot. Yeah, but but I, and maybe, I, maybe I'm just responding to just how fantastic it looked on the new Blu-ray from Scream Factory. I'm open okay. to seeing that. Yeah, and it's just... I. It was everything that I thought it was in 1986, but this time I saw it with a lot more skill involved. In that, all the loudness and abrasiveness of it, it, just, it to me it worked as a a loud, abrasive horror movie. Everything I hated about it in 1986, I now like today. You're not alone. I know a lot of defenders of this. Yeah. I, I remember liking it in 1986. I, this was also kind of a time when I was getting into horror a little more. This was the hardcore. summer of Hooper. I didn't realize he, can, he had two movies. In the yeah. And it's, and it's also, I mean, you, you mentioned Friday the 13th Part 6. This movie's very meta in a way, too. It's very self aware. I mean, the movie is a comedy yeah. in a way. I mean, it, it, it's as much of a comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's got your Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a loud horror movie, but it is. It's it's sick. There's really sick comedy in it. There's very sick comedy. Yeah, and the, and, the, and seriously, the set design, the, the the main set where a lot of the mayhem takes place in the second half of the movie is really a shame that it doesn't exist anymore because it would make a great thing in a theme park attraction. Like it would have been great to have it at Universal Studios to have this set design. Cause the set design is very similar to the Invaders from Mars tunnels, kind it's of. It's probably the same tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to the commentary tracks to see if that's if that's true. But, uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's... it's I think, yeah, not fantastic. It's not... I, I'm, I might I be overblown. I'm, I'm reacting to the negative. It's it's a good three-star, loud, abrasive horn It's one of the few times this year I think I agree with Ebert in his one-star review. Not as but, good as the original, granted. Mm, yeah, so. yeah, of course. Um... And September is kind of a short list of movies here. We already talked about Blue Velvet. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen The Name of the Rose in 25 years. I don't think I've ever seen years, it. Uh, so I don't have too much to say about that. When was the last time you guys saw Crocodile Dundee? I don't know. It's many, many, I, many, I, many I, I saw a bidet scene recently for a podcast uh, drop. I don't oh. I, I don't recommend uh, going back and seeing it. Big Don Day from Australia. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Just going down for a couple of days. Probably see you around. Fine. This your first trip to New York? First trip anywhere. Well, we might just have to give you one for free. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm walking. I've seen Bart of Dundee two more I recently. Any desire to? No, I really if, don't. if it was ever good, it certainly doesn't hold up today. I mean, it's I it's can't a, imagine. It's actually a pretty bad movie, um, but it was a huge. Deal when monster it came. Yeah. hit, huge hit, monster hit. Uh, Paul Hogan uh, was, you know, kind of a became this kind of darling of pop culture all of a sudden. Um, but his co-star Linda Hamilton is just Kozlowski or Kozlowski. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Um, she is just awful. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, there's like no chemistry between these two, and and yet they got married, <laughs> and then they got married. I, I oh, I don't know, <laughs> but like. I mean, the first half of the movie is, I, and the re, I'm, I, it was it's streaming on Netflix, and I punched it up mm-hmm. one, one one late one night. Um, first half is uh, kind of interesting, but it's just in the him following him around in the outback and seeing how he lives. Like it's kind of interesting, even though it's not that funny or anything. But it's uh, then the fish out of water stuff comes when he goes to New York, and it's like let's watch the wacky outback Aussie guy. Do you remember like with... the trumpet heavy score? Oh, like he's mm-hmm. walking down the streets. Yeah. And stuff. Oh God. It's just it's so painful to watch. Um, I I think the main reason it was a hit was because of the last scene in the film, which is kind of a, That's a, I like it's a kind of inspired yeah. little yeah. Like, romantic scene mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that that's definitely the best thing in the film. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it is just. Uh, it's like racist and homophobic and like yeah there it, is a lot of that there's in the a movie. lot of that uh, getting black men pulling knives and yeah uh, they're either limo drivers the, uh, or they're pimps or they're pulling knives uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and yeah the, yeah. Tra- the tranny uh, that he grabs the crotch to yeah. see if she's a man or a woman and, oh yeah. man yeah. Ugh, it's brutal it's, it's yeah. br- it is brutal that's <laughs> nice That's a knife. Um, one um, of Jim Jarmusch's. I mean, it's more of a wackier you, film from him, Down you, by Law. You can talk Jarmusch well, if you I, want. I, I'll I, go away. I guess you're not going to join me for the Jarmusch episode nope. this year. No. I'm finally going to tackle I this guy. I got your ghost dog right here. <laughs> Whoa, look out. Just, Claws are out. I don't care. Stranger Than Paradise? I died. I, Okay. It's been a long time. I, I, Colin, what say you about Jarmusch? I, I, like, I like some of his stuff. Um, I like... Night on Earth a lot. I like Stranger yeah. Than Paradise, yeah. but I, I don't know if you know. It's funny. Like I, I went, I started watching Down by Law, which is the movie we're talking about, right? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> came, uh, October first is when it came out, and I started watching it this last week, and I hadn't seen it. Oh God, probably since. You know, early '90s, maybe. Yeah, same here. And the '90s revolution, or the you know, after Tarantino broke and all that, I went. And back it's to some just garbage. there's something about the his style back then that just it rubs me the wrong way. Like it just doesn't speak to me anymore. If it ever, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I it, it feels it feels <laughs> like it when you watch you. when you watch the performances and and the execution of it, and I. You know, I get that it's a it's this you know this is a nineteen eighty six indie film. darling. It's an indie darling, but it plays like a Columbia College thesis, <laughs> Columbia College thesis film from the mid nineties, and you know. I, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I know. We, I know. I'm a bad film critic. I'm heaping praise over the money pit, and I'm sitting here dissing Jarmusch. And I'm right and I, but on. Is brother. it like a bad but mumblecore kind of it's thing? It's kind of no. It's not even that. It's like it's just 
because I haven't watched this in forever. I see. I just felt well, like I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to defend some Jarmusch movies. I like the ones that Colin said I mean, they're good. They're good. It, it's like, but like a lot of Columbia College students in the '90s like watched a lot of Jarmusch films and tried to make that as their thesis mm. project. And now, down by I law, we were there. Yeah, I know we right? were there, man. And now, down by law has become that film, and it's like it yeah. doesn't it doesn't speak to me. <laughs> any, on any level now. Um, oh, good job. Even though I, I admire Jarmusch and, and a lot of things that he tries to attempt. And at the time, it you know, he was doing something that nobody else was doing. And I totally sure. give him credit for that. Um, I, I like his and it, and he, goofy and he, ensemble movies yeah. that are more episodic and they're like vignettes, like you mentioned, Night on Earth. I even kind of like coffee and cigarettes. I know a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Has I, moments, I like them. Coffees and cigarettes yeah. has... Yeah. The, the Coogan and oh yeah, uh, that's, that's great. scene is fantastic. But yeah. I I still don't like Broken Flowers. There's a lot of oh, movies that okay. I like Broken Flowers. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's your review. Yeah, yeah okay. that's that's the review. Yeah. Um. I got. I mean, there are two movies from this month that are big deals to me, but I don't think we cool. want to go through them. Um, I would say three to... for me. Are we going into October now? Yeah, yeah we're, we're in October, October now. Uh, I'm looking down the list. I'd say three uh, movies. There's one that I that's on my top ten list, but there's two that are like very high up there that mean a lot to me. Okay. I think I see those movies on Colin's... This is kind of a, kind of a be mixed the, might, bag. Might be the same. Um... Oh, yeah, okay, I've just found the other Colin movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'll just do one right now. Um, October 10th, uh, David Byrne's movie True Stories came out. And I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. It only played at the fine arts. It didn't really branch out much into the suburbs at all. So I caught up with that on video in in spring of 1987. And it was was a movie that really left a huge impression on me. First of all, it, it, it got me to listen to rock music again. Um, because I really, 1985 and 86, I really didn't listen to the radio anymore. I really didn't like what was out there I, because I didn't have anybody to, you know, turn me on to like alternative bands or anything mm. like that. So all I knew that was out there was New Kids on the Block, Hair Metal, Whitney Houston, and I just like, ugh, I hate all of it. Huey Lewis? And, you know, <laughs> well, that's, that's more 84. But, um, yeah, that's true. But, and you know, but then I, you know, and I'd seen Stop Making Sense before I saw True Stories, and I really like Stop Making Sense a lot. But when I saw True Stories, that's when I became a diehard Talking Heads fan because I mean, the you know, when the movie just the movie first of all, it starts out as just this beautiful little tour guide through this fictional town, this fictional small Texas town populated by all these characters who were inspired by these you know weekly world news type of articles about these kind of oddballs and their odd behavior and david byrne collected all these articles and put all these characters in one movie and you know and it starts out this really kind of cool little travelogue through this town and then it kind of explodes with energy with the song wild wildlife um with everybody doing these you know this like lip characters yeah this lip sync thing at this bar to the song wild wildlife and suddenly like that like i was like oh my god this is amazing um i've never seen i had never seen a movie like true stories at the time and i still haven't seen anything like it since and so i i sort of credit it as the movie that got me back into music and to, every time even when i still watch it today I'm, I'm kind of marvel at the originality the sort of oddness of it and 
the you know the originality behind it and you know the performances I think are great John Goodman is really wonderful in it and you know Swoozie Kurtz is really a lot of fun co-written by Stephen Tobolowsky well that's an interesting story um Stephen Stephen Tobolowsky and Beth Henley were commissioned to co-write it with Dave Byrne right and they wrote a screenplay and then it never really got that screenplay never really quite got made um David Byrne Hmm. you know still kept some of the stuff that they wrote and put their names on the poster because he didn't want it to look like a vanity project that only he did um and actually, Stephen Tobolowski uh, has an interesting story about how he's kind of responsible for Radiohead. the name of the band Radiohead, um, because there's a song in the movie called Radiohead, and you know about the guy who's you know he's kind of like a human transistor radio, and um, that's a character in the film, and you know that's where Radiohead got their name. But it was but it was Stephen Tobolowski's idea for that kind of character that you know inspired David Byrne to put it in the film. So. Since this mall opened, C.R. Anthony, J.C. Penney, and even Duke and Ayers have all pulled out of downtown Virgil. Shoppers here will go wherever the bargains are, wherever it's convenient to shop. They don't care if they shop in a funky old building downtown or in a clean, modern place like this. See, they're wise to advertisers' claims. In a place like this... They can comparison shop. Everybody could hardly wait until the mall opened. Said Margie Ortiz. I go there just about every weekend. So the two of the other girls from work. See? Um, and then, <laughs> and then um, something wild. Uh, Which again, I also love. It's just, you know, it's, it's also, you know, David Byrne wrote a song for the opening credits on that movie. And, you yeah. know, Jonathan Demme directed it. So um, this is another one of those movies about, you know, the uptight yuppie who gets caught up in, you know, a crazy adventure that he can't really get out of. And Melody Griffith and Jeff Daniels are, you know, the stars of it. Ray Liotta kind of burst on the scene with this film with an amazing performance. And um, this is just, another, again, this is like stylistically... It's colorful. It's got a lot of colorful background characters in it. Um, the soundtrack is phenomenal. I, you mm-hmm. know, I listened to the soundtrack nonstop when it first when it came out, and I remember seeing it at the theater. And you know, it's a double feature at the Dollar House with Little Shop of Horrors, oh. and I and we were all kind of so expecting everybody. And it is a packed house, and everybody's kind of expecting this, you know, quirky, sexy comedy, something wild, and. And then the last hour is just the total shift in this movie yeah. is breathtaking. It's what it's Paul Thomas beautiful. Anderson says is the quintessential gear shift. Yeah, film. and it's done with one song. Yeah, the, the Feelies song is what shifts. That's, yeah, the Feelies. That so there's like good. one shot that dollies in on Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith when they're at the prom and they're dancing. They just dance to so like mm-hmm. I think I'm a believer. That really fast version of I'm a believer and the dolly and the camera dollies in. The lights go down to blue. The Feelies start playing the opening to the uh, one of their songs in their first album, and Ray Liotta comes dancing by them, and all of a sudden it's a totally different film. It's absolutely beautiful. Love it. Yeah. And I think, again, I mentioned earlier with genre mashup. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Comedy, road movie, thriller, all sorts of things. Yeah. It's amazing to see a movie like that where you have no idea where it's going to go from beginning to end. I mean, seriously, like, you could watch the previews for that movie. Yeah. You can have people tell you what the movie's about, and you'll still be amazed at the shifts in that movie. And just the, the, the twists 
everything works in that movie. The performances are rich. Uh, there's more to each character than any of them initially lets on, and none of it feels forced or nothing is stretched to. It all feels completely organic, and it's beautifully structured, it's beautifully directed, it's beautifully edited. It is one of the best movies of this year. Uh, 100%. Yeah, it's... Is it my favorite Demi movie? It might be. It's mine. Yeah, it well, might something, be. Well, it's not making sense, but, okay. but yeah, something they're, they're neck and is, neck, is, is my, I think. It's, I mean, he, it, Demi is two directors. He's a documentary yeah. filmmaker, and he's, you know, the narrative guy. This is definitely his best narrative film. Can I have a confession really quick? No. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> uh, yes. I've never seen true stories. <sighs> Because wasn't it available for all those years on just a pan and scan yeah. DVD? Not, it is, yeah, that's, that's all that's been available. Which is, I will not do. Okay, I, I can will, respect that. Yeah, I so I respect was, yeah. I, if I'm going to watch the movie for the first time, I didn't see one because when it came out, it didn't get really get great reviews when it, it came out. It was out. mixed. I mean, Eva yeah. was really positive on it, but a lot of people thought that Byrne was being a little condescending to his characters, which okay. I do not agree with at all. Okay. I, th- I think there's great affection for them. Yeah, so um, I just it was one of those movies that I just I never got to during the video store age basically yeah. and then w- when everyone like yourself when you st- I knew what the movie meant to you I wanted to see it but it was never available in a proper format that I yeah. was going to sit down and watch for the first time yeah it's I mean it definitely is it's long overdue and there's not only that but there should also be a soundtrack with the cast singing the songs instead of talking heads singing the songs and David Byrne said as much as has said as much many times well let's send this to so. Warner archive because they <laughs> are really starting to, to really beef up their blu-ray game and yeah. this seems like a perfect title for yeah. them to tackle and so the year is not over 30th anniversary. Bring Let's it. go. Yep. Come on, yep. Warner. And another great movie that came out in October is um, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. Yay! Uh, I, I, I time really travel. Time travel. Ding. Take a drink. Uh, Francis Coppola. <laughs> um, Kathleen Turner nominated. Uh, great performance. Yeah. Um, Early Jim Carrey. And right. Mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage, a very mm-hmm. goofy performance, but a lot Shocking. of fun. Yeah, <laughs> but but this was like fun Nicolas Cage goofiness. Yeah, um, but no, but very sincere and very. I, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, it's got his heart in its right place. Did you ever go back and rewatch it? Because he said you were going. Uh, no, and I almost did in preparation for this, and I just yeah. I didn't have the time to actually sit down and focus on it. Ironically enough, I had to do a segment uh, just yesterday before we did this for uh, Bill Curtis's Beyond, uh, Through the Decades show, yes. and I had to do, uh, we talk about Apocalypse Now, so I had to do a full uh, week's oh of boy. research on Apocalypse okay? Now. Yo, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, what do you mean? <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I, so I had watched Apocalypse Now, watched Hearts of Darkness, and uh, so uh. I really had to brush up on that, and there was Peggy Sue Got Mary sitting right on my Coppola shelf, and I was like, oh, I should watch that. I promised Colin I was going to do it like six years ago uh, <laughs> when it came on a blue one not that long ago. But uh, but no, I haven't. And so I, I refrained from commentary because, you know, this was a year after Back to the Future. And when someone's, you hear they're doing a time travel movie after Back to the Future, well, pretty much they all suck after, you know, after that. So, so when I saw this, I'm just like, hey, she's like, she, she had to pick the bad car. She's not doing anything. What's this? What are you doing here? And then she just wakes up at the end. I'm like, ah, bullshit. <laughs> that was my reaction in 1986. So it's 30 years later. I need to, I need to rewatch it again. Yeah, I know, I know, I, I know people really love that movie. It is. It's, it's very special, yeah. I think. But two horror comedies that came out that month, ugh. 
Deadly Friend and Trick or Treat. Mm. Not a fan of. Oh, you went you went there that route, huh? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking I'm like, oh, he's gonna go. Oh no, he went there. Um, yeah, Trick or Treat's only notable for two things: one, that Charles Martin Smith directed it. Yeah, and, and, and uh, it starts Skippy from Skippy, yes. Family Ties, Mark yeah, Price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Deadly Friend is notable for Anne Ramsey and basketball. basketball. Yeah. But uh, a really <laughs> a, 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 one of the low points of Wes Craven's career for certain. And then uh, you got two uh, Academy Award, major Academy Award winners for acting uh, in the same month: Children of a Lesser God, Marley Matlin, um, who won for Best Actress, and she's uh, oh. she went to my high school. Oh, um, ah, yeah. Heights, and uh, Paul Newman for The Color of Money, which was definitely a, a career, career Oscar. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I'm not a big fan of Color of Money. It's Nick, not that Nick good. and I it's, sort of skipped over it. Yeah, it's not that great. <laughs> no, it's, I don't it's, know. It's lesser, it's minor mm. Scorsese. Yeah, it's very minor. It's minor Scorsese, it's minor Newman, it's minor Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, Drama-wise, but I still think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, still like, I still like Color of Money. I know. It's funny that that movie was, you know, I got two thumbs down from Siskel and Ebert, and it's one of the clips they use in the Life Itself documentary when they say, like, well, Ebert was friendly with these directors, and they go, like, yeah, yeah, but he trashed some of their movies, too, and there go the pool balls and everything, and, like, <laughs> yeah. color of money. Uh, but no, I, I it, it, that, that movie's played on cable a lot, and I always watch mm. it, because I just, I like the, I, I, I really like Newman in it, and yeah, it's sure. I like lo- lo- there's 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 the dialogue I think really crackles. Richard Price did the the screenplay, and he's did um this this HBO show. Oh, the night of the night of. Need to see that. Uh, which the first if when we're taping this, the first episode is available on on demand. I highly recommend watching it. So so I like I like Color of Money. What about Soul yeah. Man? Harvard Law School. Yeah. Tuition and fees, $10,493. Harvard Law School, this is a big day for all of us. That's why I've decided to let you pay your own way. Estimated annual living expenses. You ever applied for a loan before? $7,500. If ever, if we can ever skip a over comedy that. <laughs> idea would go, would just, I mean... Maybe we should screen never, that at Elk Grove in November. Oh, my God. See how that plays now 30 Soul years Man, later. Yeah. Soul Man, for people who don't know, is about a college student who can't get into this Ivy League school. I mean, if I got this right. Um, because, I mean, he's, he's played by C. Thomas Howell, you know, one of the whitest actors you can imagine. And he figures uh, if he makes himself black... He has a better chance of getting in because he's a minority and colleges like to take in minorities. If I'm not mistaken, that is the storyline. So he... How does he make get himself black? Tan, tanning uh, pills. Right, okay. He uh, two, two things to, to, to beef up your description there. Okay. One, he makes Ferris Bueller look poor. For one thing, he, he comes. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. comes. He comes from a house with a ground-in pool right. and oh, stuff. Dear Lord. And okay, so he's you know, uh, so he's super rich, but he he can't he can't get in because and not that his grades are bad. Is you know mm-hmm. he's actually got got solid numbers and whatnot. And then they're going through the book of like scholarships, and he thinks he sees a scholarship he can get some money for. And then he goes, no. His friend goes, no. It's for most qualified black. Applicant, okay. and then he shows up at his door, having taken all the tanning pills, and and his his hair is he's got the afro wig, mm-hmm. and oh my god! I mean, it's just the it's, one of the worst ideas for a movie you can imagine. It sounds like and, the train wreck version of just one of the guys because she wants to win 
like a journalism competition or school. Yeah, and they won't take her seriously because she's a right. girl, and so she goes to another school posing as a boy. I still like that movie. <laughs> well, well, it has one of the great PG-13 boob shots my first. of all time. That was my first. That was your first boob? Yep. First two boobs. Yeah. Congratulations. You might explain why I like androgyny in women so much. Mm. You are so sexually confused. Yeah. <laughs> Next on the Director's right. Club podcast. Okay. Um, um, so November, <laughs> it's all about Star Trek Four, right? Well... What, this, you, you skipped over From Beyond. Where Where's From Beyond? I, from Beyond, October twenty twenty fourth. That's weird. Your websites weird. suck. Right. Apparently so. Yeah, because from, I would have. I would have definitely talked. Yeah, from that's beyond. when you were talking about trick or treat, and when I'm like, what about From Beyond? Oh, holy crap! October twenty fourth. Yeah. Stuart Gordon. Barbara Crampton again. H. H. P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, Follow up to Reanimator, a uh, movie that in nineteen eighty six sickened the hell out of me. It was. I it's mean, pretty gross. It's, I mean, it, it is gross. It. I mean, it is gross. Okay, and you know, there's pituitary glands coming out of people's head, mm-hmm. skulls, and eaten, and coming out bald, and then she's turning into a dominatrix, and he's being eaten by little maggot flies and stuff, <laughs> and it's just, ooh, it is, it is just. But you grow up and you start to understand that you. Stupid science of the movie, <laughs> and they go, "Well, that's kind of interesting." Yeah, yeah um, no, true. I and mean, the grossness a... kind of takes on a on a poetic quality. I mean, Stuart Gordon, you know what he did with Reanimator, I think, does just as beautifully with From Beyond. H.P. Lovecraft, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. As someone who got into neuroscience too, I kind of appreciate uh-huh. this uh, covering a little bit about the pituitary gland and uh-huh. stuff. And yeah, it's it's a wacky, weird movie that I I do have a soft spot for too. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great Blu-ray release too from yeah. Scream Factory. Oh, I should pick that up. Oh, it's a really terrific package. Yeah, Stuart so. Gordon was a lot of fun to cover. He was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so you okay? So November. So now we're I, on November. Yeah. yeah. So now um, I don't have much to say about much of anything in November, really. I mean, I I like Hoosiers. I like Star Trek Four. I like Star, Star Trek, Trek Four. Yeah, Star Trek Four is the second best Star Trek movie. It's it's everybody calls it you know it's a Star Trek movie for people who don't like Star Trek. It's where they keep the nuclear vessels. Nuclear vessels. The fish yes. out of water stuff in that actually works. Literally. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a mammal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> again, another Seinfeld reference. It's a fish. It's a mammal. Whatever. Um, <laughs> No, I'm looking. I'm looking at uh, November, and you mentioned Hoosiers, which I, I Hoosiers, Hoosiers is good. Hoosiers, right? is, Hoosiers is really good. Yeah, Hoosiers, yeah. Hoosiers are really great. Did Dennis um, Hopper win, or he was just nominated? Who? Dennis Hopper nominated. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, nominated. Well, funny enough, I mean, he had that and Blue Velvet in the same year, and they nominated him for Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah. You know that, that that's just sort of a atypical Academy yeah. nomination right there. Not to take anything away because he's really great in Hoosiers, and that, and the great thing about Hoosiers is, is that you know I'm I'm certainly a sucker for underdog sports movies, Same. especially you know they seem to either be really great or kind of average, and this is one of the really great ones, and it's the performances are, are really I mean Hackman's great in it, and Barbara Hershey and Hopper, uh, and it's the, the, it has a beautiful score by Jerry Goldsmith in the movie. Uh, yeah, I just I yeah, that's it's that that's a really special movie to me. And then on November twenty first is an American Tale. Right. Yeah. This was, you know, that down was somewhere out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always like the sequel a little bit more. The Five Will Goes West. Five Will Goes West I like yeah. more. American Tale is a very I, I haven't seen I haven't seen the whole thing in a long time, but I yeah. caught a little bit of it uh 
last hmm. year a bit. It's a really grown movie with the immigrant experience. It was kind of a, it was a, it was sort of an odd, yeah, at the time. And, and Amblin was, didn't they have something to do with it? Yeah, yeah. Spielberg produced the movie oh, okay. in '86, and then Land Before Time was eight with Lucas and Bluth and Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, 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 I've, I've always enjoyed American Tale. So I tried to rewatch Solar Babies last night, but I fell asleep. <laughs> Solar Babies, one of the great bad movies of all time, not just of this year, but of all time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> roller skating, futuristic, uh, drought movie, um, oh, prison movie, prison, mm. uh, a little bit of everything, little little ball, glowing ball that's the answer to everything. Yes, Bodai, Bodai, Bodai. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Gertz, uh, Lucas Haas, who else? Jason Patrick. Jason, Jason Patrick, Patrick, James yeah. LeGrow. Right. Adrian Pazdar, Pre-Near Dark. Oh, right. Richard Jordan, Sarah Douglas, um, Charles Dean. Yeah, yeah. Right. Charles Charles okay. He's the narrator and, at the beginning. It's yeah. great because, the, the, the I mean, the title alone is just so, you know, like... What's the solar baby? Well... <laughs> I mean, why would you name your movie Solar <laughs> Babies? I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, I mean that had to have passed through how many committees at MGM? Yeah. Or how, you know, I mean, nobody stopped that poster from being made. Nobody stopped that trailer, like, in cold and say, wait, wait, we got, we got one more thing we got to change about this film before we release it. And nobody said anything. Not that it would have helped. Because it was a terrible movie uh, that you know never would have had a chance of finding an audience. It, it's so bad, but it's it's fun bad. It's it's really like hilariously fun bad. I certainly chuckled as I was falling asleep. I just I, <laughs> I, I still can't believe I I, I, don't know if it was, I was on cable. It's on Blu-ray now. You know there's all the stuff we can't get on Letterbox, but that's on yeah, Blu-ray. Right. right. Uh, thank you, Kino. No, yeah. seriously. True stories is on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, but, but like the, like they, they they take Bodai out for a spin basically. Let's go take it outside, you know. And the, the, their their first instinct is to play hockey with it, yeah, of course. And they're they're serving That's it up and do. like, hey, hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> Thing breaks in a million pieces, and they go, what happened? You hit it with a stick, idiot. <laughs> Armed with the power of the magical being Bodai, a young band of rebels is our only hope to conquer the forces of evil that would destroy the planet Earth. Who direct? Alan Johnson directed the movie. Right now, if you if you don't know who Alan Johnson was, he was a choreographer for Mel Brooks. He did stuff with Mel, he worked with Mel Brooks, and this wow. was a this was a Mel this is a Brooks film production. Solar Babies. I'm picturing Dom DeLuise in Blazing Saddles right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, the, so, so the same year that Brooks Films produces The Fly, they also produce Solar Babies. Okay? And the only other movie that Alan Johnson ever directed before, before and ever, ever, was the remake of To Be or Not To Be with Mel Brooks and oh, Anne Bancroft. Wow. He did that in 1983, and then he did this in 1986, and he never directed again. And he sunk a lot of his own money into the making of this film. Yeah. I mean, it was... Well, that's- yeah, I mean, he, and, I just, and had to go through a lot of reshoots and everything. I mean, he spent a lot of his own money uh, to make to make Solar Babies. Solar Babies, a movie called Solar Babies. I just rem- my strongest memory associated with this movie is actually when we were in the studio at, at Nick at WGN for Nick's show when we after we saw Swim Fan, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. we did our so bad it's good discussion, and uh, our good friend Tom Tom Malinowski was with us in the studio. Yeah. 
and we all just sort of gave one title out before like a break and you know I probably said Cobra and you said Fever Pitch and what does Tom do? He just knocks it out of the park and says Solar Babies and we all die laughing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Good times, uh, good times. Yeah. So And it actually made made less than Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to keep, yeah, that, well, that, keep that going. Well, there you go. I mean, that, that doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. That could be a whole podcast. What made less than Clan of the Cave Bear? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then December um, gives us one of my favorite Peter Weir movies. Yep. And probably one of my favorite movies of the year. Oh, jeez, Mi- another good River Phoenix performance. Yeah, another good River Phoenix performance yeah. with uh, The Mosquito Coast, which is actually also, I think, Harrison Ford's best performance. Yeah. I completely. Um, I can't. I can't really argue that. I mean, I'm, I might maybe witness. Another I mean, complicated father. But it's, son a, it's a very complicated performance. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow! And, and and it's funny that you know there there's a there's a piece of crap movie that's opening in theaters this <laughs> summer that Colin and I have seen called Captain Fantastic, and you kind of want to take the family of Captain Fantastic. Fantastic, and put them into the ice maker machine, <laughs> like the the the, the rebels, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you want them that to happen to them, right. sure, sure. But no, I I'm with Colin 100 percent on the Mosquito Coast. Really, kind of blew me away the first time I I, I saw yeah. it. I I mean, obviously a huge Harrison Ford fan, so I was going to watch anything. I knew him a little bit more than Peter Weir, although I, I knew of the Witness connection, and. It's just it's because he's such an unlikable guy. Yeah, I know. In the movie, and it's one of the first time he played an unlikable guy. Right. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't think of anything. Not there's nothing close. I don't think no. even even since. I think even even in well, I don't want to spoil a certain movie he was in, but uh, I think he's more despicable in this movie than he is in that other movie. Robert Zemeckis. Oh, right, right, right. That yeah, one. I know what you're saying. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's more despicable in Mosquito Coast. And it's, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. And I that's think great. that's I another... I want to rewatch it again. That's it's... a movie that's due for Blu-ray release. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warner, yeah. Warner, get on that. Yeah, it's beautifully shot and everything. And it, it, it bombed, of course, because... Oh, God. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he's playing a jerk. Yeah. And yeah, no the audiences didn't want to see that. And no. you know, too bad. It's, it really is too bad. Well, I prefer I prefer Witness to Mosquito Coast if I'm gonna rank the two of them, but to me they're both four star movies. Yeah. yeah. So along with Fearless, of course. Yeah. Um Why was the Golden Child a big hit? Was Eddie it just Murphy, Eddie Murphy? Was that, that was huge, it? It was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. That's it. Okay. It's it didn't huge. matter what he did. That, <laughs> right. no, seriously, it didn't matter yeah. what he did. in the in the mid eighties there was nobody bigger than Eddie Murphy. Um, and it was, a, hol- it was a holiday release, yeah. and okay. it was. Yeah. I, I, I'm detecting a lot of scorn for the Golden Child at this table. Well, I, I haven't um, seen it since I, it's it came one out. I wanted to just rewatch again, but I didn't have time. It's, it's a ridiculously and... stupid movie that Eddie Murphy is quite funny in. Okay, okay. I buy know, that. It's, I buy it's that. you know, it's not you know, it's not genius by any stretch. It's a really stupid fantasy movie, but Eddie Murphy is clearly. I think recognizes how stupid it is, and he's just doing mm-hmm. his Eddie Murphy thing, and maybe that's a bad thing. But there's there's still stuff in that movie that I laugh at. Okay, um, I'll take your still, word for it. Still yeah. stuff in Three Amigos that I like. I at. love Three Amigos. Yeah. Three Amigos is a funny movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, another one, another kind of a wide, another widely panned movie. Oh yeah, at was the it time. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah it was. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was. A, a, if you go, if you go on YouTube, you can find the. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the. Carson episode where Siskel and Ebert are on with Chevy Chase. 
Well, that was in Life Itself. Oh, that's right. Yes, it's yeah. in Life Itself, yeah. where they actually say, Ebra says, I didn't like Three Amigos, and then Chase starts mocking him yeah. from, from the couch. It's, <laughs> really, it's, a really, it's really funny, but, yeah. you know, but, you know, to have the guts to, you know, Chase is right there, and it's yep. just, the first thing you think of is, like, I didn't like Three Amigos. Yep. Yeah. And you're like, wow! <laughs> yeah. Roger. Even, even just the, op- well, not so, not so much the opening, but the, the, the post-credits with you have like three of the best guys in the room for Joe Mantegna, uh John Lovitz, and Phil, Phil Hartman. Hartman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that that whole that whole sequence. We don't is got great. no beer. We got tequila. What's oh, tequila? Oh, it's like, like beer. <laughs> that movie really There's funny stuff is, in that movie. It is. Yeah, it is. Really, and and really with, funny. without you know without three amigos, there'd be no Tropic Thunder. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. So That's true. I see I see the very very that. very similar. No, a Little Shop of Horrors is great. I saw that in the theater, and I and I love the yeah, yeah, and yeah, I love the alternate time. ending. The alternate ending, I think, is yep. great. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I'm glad Warner put that out. For yes, us to see a really nice yeah. Blu-ray release. Yeah, really nice. So, I'm going to say something controversial. What? Mm-hmm. I don't think Platoon is that great. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay. Um, I think I loved it when I was a kid. But rewatching it fairly recently for the Oliver Stone episode, it was just so heavy-handed. I know that's Oliver Stone. That's his mo at this point, being heavy-handed. Um, and there's no denying the power of his choice to use adagio for strings throughout this movie, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful piece of music. It's one of my favorites. Maybe it's just because Apocalypse Now is where it is for me in my mind mm-hmm. in terms of being the definitive Vietnam movie. That this sort of just plays like more like melodrama. For in some instances, but you have a great um, duo performance here with Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe back to back, just sort of constantly on each other. Um, there's just there's great performances, there's great moments. I just don't feel like it holds up as strongly uh, as an emotional experience as it did for me when I was younger. Do you think the case of that is because we've you've had 30 years of other movies that have tackled maybe not just yeah. the Vietnam War but other war stories so because uh, when Platoon came out that was sort of you know we hadn't had Vietnam stories in films in a while mm-hmm. and it was this was sort of the, the new renaissance of the Vietnam you know 86 to like 88 there was a ton sure. of Vietnam stories and Platoon was sort of the first one that really Really uh, was I mean other than because even Deer Hunter only has that little section yeah and ha- and most of that section is them being captured right okay so this was one of the first movies about that experience that actually puts you on the soldier the on the war. ground mm-hmm. and I think that's the aspect of it that still holds up for me and particularly seeing it through the eyes of the young soldier watching the two combative what should be father figures to him in this. Yeah, no, I like, I like the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, especially having watched Apocalypse Now again recently, mm-hmm. I agree that that is sort of the definitive Vietnam story because that yeah. that's the movie. And that there's makes so you many documentaries feel, at this point too that are even that's that's true know? too. That's true too. So, but I think you know it's it's hard for me to fault a movie because I, other I movies have have put us on the ground and been even more visceral mm-hmm. than Platoon was. But I, I think the experience of watching Platoon still holds up. Really well. Yeah, I mean Willem Dafoe in the Jesus Christ pose while that song is, while that beautiful piece of music mm-hmm. is playing, that is an image you don't forget. Sure, hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, I still think it's a pretty great movie. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, it's Oliver Stone at his most personal, definitely. I mean, he was in Vietnam, he was there, he knows what sure. it was like. And so you're getting as authentic a movie about that subject as you're likely to ever see. And I really have an appreciation for that. And I think, I agree, I think the stuff between Defoe and um, Berenger yeah. is the, the best stuff in the movie. I think Sheen is great. I think she, he's, Charlie Sheen is very, good, very, really very good in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can tell, like, when watching it, you know, that Stone really put his cast through hell, you know. <laughs> and like An unbelievable cast, too. A great I mean, cast, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, even Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp is in it. Forrest Kevin Winker. Diller, Kevin yeah. Dillon, Keith David. Right. John C. McGinley, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, and we, you know, we're talking about, you know, m- war movies, and I don't know if we you missed one on our list or if we just haven't gotten to it yet, but also in December, uh, Clint Eastwood's Heartbreak Ridge yeah. opened. Yeah. Uh, and that's I don't know, a, but that's another movie you were talking earlier about movies that you know are talk, get, training, come to the training, yes. and when yeah. they go on the mission, the movie just kind of gets mm-hmm. less interesting. And this is definitely that's, that yeah. Film. That's, but at the same but, time, if you remember, do you remember the controversy about Heartbreak Ridge at the time? I don't remember I don't. the controversy. Okay, because no. there there was a big deal, um, and I, I th- it was because Reagan was still you know in, in, in power, and there was because if you remember where they go. In, on the mission, do you remember where they go? Grenada? It was Grenada. Yeah. Okay. So they were mm-hmm. using that as sort of the definitive version of what happened in, during that period. And so there was all this controversy from on top of the Reagan administration that this movie was mm-hmm. not sanctioned. It's not you know it doesn't represent any views and all this kind of stuff. And it, it was kind of there was kind of a big deal made at the time. I think it kind of blew over kind of quickly afterwards because uh, the movie was just kind of came and went a little bit mm-hmm. but uh but i remember because my my dad was a marine so he was had this really sort of interested you know he was very interested in this story and what they were going to do with it i i think it's a i think it's a quite a good movie uh i i agree that you get to the mission stuff and it follows exactly what i just said uh but this i think all the training stuff in the movie is and and East was kind of hilarious. In the oh, movie. he is. I yeah. mean, and you can tell he's just having a good time playing a gunnery sergeant mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just you know loves to you know spew out dialogue yeah. like that. That's just and this is also pre Full Metal down. Jacket too. So yeah. we hadn't you know seen. I mean, he wasn't quite like Arlie Ermey was, sure. Right. But uh, you know, th- th- we hadn't quite seen a character presented yeah. like that. But this so. was definitely like. You know, almost like a quintessential 80s era Eastwood performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just that kind of a little bit of Dirty Harry and a little yeah. bit of, uh, you know, something else. Yeah. Just, um, he's just having a ball in this movie mm-hmm. uh, with that. Um, I think that's that kind of takes us to the end of the year then. Right? Yeah. Pretty I'm going to be rewatching much. Sid and Nancy for the Alex Cox right. episode coming up. Good right. movie. Sid and Nancy is very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I need That's to see that film. again mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, this, you look at the end of the man, the end, the end of the year kind of ended with a whimper there. Doesn't it? After I've never heard it was it was kind of like that at the time. I mean, there was I mean, there was a, this was a year where a lot of movies came out earlier in the year had still some like awards momentum. Like yeah. the Room with a View is another film that came out earlier in the year that got a lot of praise. Oh, and, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it but the momentum for it, you know, I think that got a lot of nominations too. And mm-hmm. so you know, it wasn't like how it is now where they. Talk 
top load everything at Christmas Day and we got three yeah. movies all at once. You know, they were a little more spaced yeah. out throughout the year. At this oh, point. that's got to explain why Jane Fonda got nominated for The Morning After. Oh, yeah. Opening right. on December 26th. Because yeah. that's not a particularly good movie. Yeah. And just because she plays kind of a boozy, alcoholic, mm-hmm. run-over-the-hill actress in that movie. Right. Yeah. And, so. and really quick, uh, Bill mentioned... Some art house and foreign releases that were standouts for that year. John Woo's A Better Tomorrow, mm-hmm. Pedro Almodovar's Matador, Louis right. Krauss's Mwavis <laughs> song. Oh, Mwavis song. Mwavis yeah. song. Mwavis song. Yeah. yeah. Of course. It has a great use of the David Bowie song. Yes. I um, love Mwavis. Yeah. I need to see that again. Uh, Asian classics like The Horse Thief, Dust in the Wind, and Pecking Opera Blues. Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice. Mm. Betty Blue. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Very memorable opening sex scene. Um, Ken Russell's Gothic and Nicholas Rogue's Castaway. So those are all movies. Oh, God. Nicholas Rogue's Castaway. Amanda Donahoe, by the way. Underrated 80s hottie. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Hmm. You, ever see Cast- you never saw Nicholas Rogue's Castaway? No. It's her and Oliver Reed. And it's hmm. the. I remember the basic premise of the movie is Oliver Reed is looking to like just take this vacation or go on this experiment where he's going to cast, you know, he's just going to live on an island by himself, and he wants someone to be there with him. Right. And she's. I don't remember if she's a reporter. Or she answers. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I've seen the nudity a bunch of times, but because um, <laughs> it's fantastic, they're like nude for like half that movie. <laughs> Nicholas Rogue movie, so that's just the way it, it happens. But yeah. uh, it, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying there's nudity in it. Okay, Julie, no doubt. things up here fellas let's go with our top 10 films of 1986 um i'll go first what the heck okay i usually go last i'll go first this time number 10 for me is three amigos yes i love it that much good wow (laughs) wow didn't i didn't see that coming well there's a there's a long story i could get into why i love it so much but i won't because it's it's going late uh number nine is aliens which i know is should be higher it's in the top ten. That counts. Okay. Uh, number eight <laughs> is True Stories. Number seven is Peggy Sue Got Married. Number six is The Mosquito Coast. Number five, I'm surprised we didn't bring it up, but River's Edge. Well, did it come up I in our list? I remember it I coming out in 87. I know yeah. a lot of people say it's an 86 movie, but I okay. seriously remember seeing it in the spring. I went by Letterboxd. Yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. It may okay. have come out in the overseas yeah. earlier. Yeah, you know? was it made in 86 and then not yeah. released in 87? Could be one of those I, distinctions. Right. I, that's what's I remember about. 87 as well. Yeah. Okay, well, then I'll just replace it with something else. Uh, number four is Stand By Me. Number three is Something Wild. Number two is The Fly. And number one, of course, is Blue Velvet. All right, I'll go next. Go, Colin. Um, Number 10 is The Mosquito Coast. Number 9, The Fly. Number 8, Stand By Me. Number 7, Platoon. Number 6, Peggy Sue Got Married. Number 5, Aliens. Number 4, Hannah and Her Sisters. Number 3, True Stories. Number 2, Something Wild. Number 1, Blue Velvet. 
We've got a couple matches on my list here. Uh, uh, number 10 on my list is The Manhattan Project. Ooh. Number 9, Hand on Her Sisters. Uh, 8, Blue Velvet. 7, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, it's better yeah, than Blue Velvet. Yeah, that should be hard. Um, <laughs> 6, The Mosquito Coast. Match mm-hmm. with Jim. Uh, 5, The Fly. 4, Manhunter. 3, Platoon. 2, Something Wild. Yep. And number 1, Aliens. Right. Splendid. Splendid. Yeah. Not a bad year. You know. It's okay. I have a, I have a, I have a fondness for 80s. I have a personal fondness for sure, 86. Sure. And sure. again, you you look at any year and you look at the top 10, top 15, top 20 movies, it's going to seem like a good year. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's inevitable. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show again. I, like talk, I, oh, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about the box office. What was the box office thing? We're going to do that. Uh, I don't know. Just oh, okay. No. Like what? Over the top ten movies at the yeah. box office that year? I'm just curious. Yeah. Okay, you can do that real quick. Yeah, I'll, hold on a second. I will get that right up. It's it's the, you know this is this list is not as impressive as the list we just came up with. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll go. I'll well, go it's just I'll, interesting to see like what everybody was going. For yeah, um, I'll go ten to one. Okay. Uh, number ten was Ferris Bueller's Day Off with seventy point one million. Number nine is Ruthless People with seventy one point six million. Big oh, wow. big hit that summer. Yeah. Uh, eight was the Golden Child with seventy nine point <laughs> eight million. Seven was Aliens eighty five point one six. Back to School huh. ninety one point two wow. million dollars. Rodney was kind of in the height of popularity at that point. Yeah. Okay, um, and and it was very well received. Five Star Trek four uh, one hundred nine point seven. Number four Karate Kid Part two one hundred fifteen point one. Number three was Platoon. Aided by those Oscars, hundred thirty-eight point wow, five million dollars. It's very impressive for an Oscar winner. Uh, number two is Crocodile Dundee, hundred seventy-four point eight million dollars. Opened with eight million dollars, ended with hundred seventy-four point eight million dollars. Yeah, so what do I know? And number one, we all know it. Number one was Top Gun. Yeah, barely beating Crocodile Dundee at one hundred seventy-six point <laughs> seven million. Now Crocodile Dundee was almost the top-grossing film. Of 1986, Paramount owned three. Uh, they, they, Paramount had five movies in the top ten that year, yeah. including the top two and three of the top five. Number eleven, by the way, was Down and Out in Beverly Hills, sixty-two point one million. Yeah, I remember that. Twelve Color of Money, thirteen Stand by Me, fourteen Legal Eagles. Oh. And fifteen for you, Jim Cobra. Oh, and for I was going to say number one should be Cobra. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, wow, that's wild. That's the eight. That's the eighties right there for you. Yeah, yeah. that kind of yeah. sums it up. That was the, yeah. the, the fact the, that Crackville Dundee is that high. I yeah. just it's a huge. That was. A, I mean, was, open in September, and it was just one of those movies that just caught the zeitgeist. It was just. Yeah. It was. He was. Mm-hmm. Hogan was everywhere. People, you know, it got. I think it got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert. If I no, it didn't. No, it did, it did get two thumbs down. Did it yeah, not? It did. Well, it, at least Ebert, I remember. Okay, like, it might have been what Siskel thought of it. But. Okay, um, but yeah, but I don't think reviews were bad. For it. I mean, yeah. so they were one here. of those things. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this was fun. This was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks All for right. doing again. Let's for do eighty-seven right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's do it for another. Three I hours. can't wait to talk yeah. about eighty-seven. Eighty-seven is great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. we just do this at the beginning of the year every year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Um, I want this to become a yearly tradition. Like I said, maybe we'll go to the year nineteen ninety-nine. Of course, who knows where we'll be. Um, but uh, probably you know, on Mars. We have to know, leave this planet like Interstellar. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised, but mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's interesting not just from a nostalgic perspective, but it's just it's cool to see what films have longevity, or when we watch them now, how do we think of them? It's like something like Crocodile Dundee, but you know, movies much like music, I've always said it is like our own personal form of time travel and it's yeah. mm-hmm. so much fun to do and I'm grateful that I have friends like you to talk about it with it means a lot yeah. so now cool. plug, plug away where can we read more of your work hear from you on other platforms uh, well you can hear both Eric and I on Nick DeGilio's show on WGN Radio every uh, Monday morning at 2am or just download the podcast on WGN Radio that's probably easier um, I'm write a, a, fil- a short film column every month for RogerEbert.com. I spotlight a short film and interview the director and put a link to the film so everybody can see. Always it. good reading. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a big one coming up, don't you? Uh, I don't know did- when, oh, okay. but I did interview Danny DeVito Woo-hoo! last month um, for his short film Curmudgeons, and whenever that film is available online, that interview will be up. And mm-hmm. he was a delight to talk to. And um, I'm if you want to. St- Follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, you can. Um, Colin Suter, C-O-L-L-I-N-S-O-U-T-E-R. And um, I'm doing one Woody Allen movie a week for a year, <laughs> re- reviewing them. And uh, re- next this weekend, I'll be revisiting Bullets Over Broadway. So, Oh, good and one. I'll one write, of the good ones. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. really funny. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay. Uh, well, as mentioned earlier, um, if you're listening to this uh, before Wednesday, July 13th, 2016, uh, come to the Elk Grove Cinema. I will be hosting a 30th anniversary screening of James Cameron's Aliens, which I cannot wait to do and talk about with the audience. And there's going to be some prizes as well. I will it be my... the director's cut or the theatrical cut? I, it's the theatrical cut to my okay. to my knowledge, yes. Um so I'll be doing that. Uh, you can see me uh, every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. or set your DVRs to WYCC uh, Business First AM where I do a box office segment for them. Uh, and uh, you can hear me on the Now Playing Network. Uh, never heard of it. Never heard of it, huh? No. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, it's called the Movie Madness Podcast, and I do a weekly, sometimes bi-weekly uh, podcast and talk about box office and uh, try to have a fun guest like these two gentlemen sitting at the table here and uh whatever comes into my mind and uh yeah wherever wherever it takes me is you know where where that thing goes and it just i don't i'm not you know paying attention to what i should be doing i'm just doing it that's 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 my approach i I like that approach. (laughs) i mean i do plan ahead for the most yeah, part. But, sure. Well, yeah, there's but, planning involved, but it's just like I... Turn on the mic, see what comes out. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to do news. I'm not going to do... I just want to talk to people and you know, talk Engage. about... Yeah. yeah, and talk about things that I know things about. That's all I want to do. So in less than a week, I can't believe this, I'm actually... There's going to be two episodes coming. I'm actually recording two podcasts in one day, which is going to be something I've never done before. Hmm. I, I, I just hope my voice can handle it. Um, the first one is on director Agnes Varda who I had never seen any films of hers up until just these past couple of weeks, and that's been a real treat. Be visited with, um, be visited by my friend Kate Blair, who was on for the Hitchcock episode. And that same night, at 10 p.m., I'm going back to WGN to talk with Nick DiGilio, post-Goodfellas Scorsese, ah. part two, the sequel everybody's mm. been waiting for. Have fun talking Cape Fear. Of course, yeah. that's where we're starting. Uh-huh. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't really like it that much, but I don't hate it the way 
he does. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be great. And uh, thanks again, guys, for being on the show. All right. Absolutely. Stay tuned, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening, yeah. and have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Their, their first instinct is to play hockey with it. Yeah, of course. And they're, they're serving That's it up and do. like, hey, hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thing breaks in a million pieces and they go, what happened? You hit it with a stick, idiot. <laughs>